Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 131, coming at you from the Riverwood Gallery studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm host producer Eric Fisher, the Big E. Joining me this week, we do have three people, but we do not have our usual cast and crew. That said, we do have member of the Highway 22 crew, Sean Klossman. Sean, how are you doing, buddy? Doing good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Glad that you're feeling better after damn near two-week illness of different sorts. So, welcome back to the real world and recovery. Yeah, finally. (laughs) And joining us also via Skype this week from Milwaukee, Wisconsin... He has not been on the show, but he's an avid listener. He is a Flurry Sports content creator, a member of the Lombardi Suite podcast, Trevor Land. Trevor, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Very glad that you could come uh, on very last minute notice because we did not know Sean was going to be alive <laughs> 24 hours ago. So uh, thanks for stepping in and joining us for the episode. Uh, very glad that you listen because we do some weird shit here. So it's it's good to have somebody who at least kind of gets the gist of what's going to go on here. With that said, as always, we got to talk about our friends over at First Rays Energy RepSports.com. Code Root4 gets you 15% off any order. Code Root4 R O O T number four for 15% off your orders. And then we've got our friends over at Rage and Pro Wrestling RPW. Some of the best wrestling in the world. And that is confirmed with numerous people who are going to be in RPW events, have been in RPW events, making uh, Pro Wrestling Insiders top 250 women performers, including on September, or excuse me, November 3rd. Wrestler 140, Missa Kate, will be at RPW Homecoming in Wapaka. Um, also, Heather Reckless will be attend- er, in on the card. Um, she was also ranked in the top 250. So be sure to check her out on there as well. Check her matches out. Very talented individuals. Um, and like I said, a number of other pro wrestlers that... You can see at RPW Homecoming 1, as well as Destiny 3 on November 4th at the Big Apple in Manitowoc. Tickets are going fast, so be sure to get yours in advance. Uh, Thanks to everyone who listened last week on behalf of RPW uh, when we had OVW star TW3 on our show. With that said, let's get into the business of the episode. It's been a couple weeks, so we have a lot to talk about. We start off with what we are rooting for. And I would usually say this is brought to you by Fanatics, but Fanatics has stopped their ambassador program. So it is no longer brought to you by Fanatics. So uh, any business owners out there who want to take part in the show, this is an opportunity. So with that, I will give to... Sean first. Me first. Well, you've been sick. You've been <laughs> home a lot to, you know, rest, relax, recover. What have you rooted for in the last two weeks while you've been recovering? Can I just say feeling better? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's fair. Oh, um, I sure. I'm. Gonna, I think I'm just gonna go. 
I'm going to go with the Philly, Philadelphia Phillies. Okay. That's always been a team that I've kind of always rooted for. Because mm-hmm. I always and Howard and Chase Hutley growing up. Those are my two guys. And it's just cool seeing all that excitement back in Philadelphia again. Chase Utley, known scumbag. Sorry. Although, you. Sorry although, you. Don't, well, we I don't. was going to say, I was going to defend him, Sean, saying he didn't really become a known scumbag until he went to the Dodgers. Right. That was Manny Machado. That's, that's also true. That's who we're going to blame. I don't know if that lines up on the calendar, but I will. Worth I will give it to you. It's worth a shot, right? Sure. <clears throat> All right, Trevor, you're new to the show, so in the last three years, what have you rooted for? <laughs> That's a long time. It's hard to get it down to one. But uh, kind of on the same line with the Phillies, I'm I'm cheering for Raul Ortiz. Um, I don't know if anybody saw it. Um, but Philly police officer who was shot in the line of active duty. Um, unfortunately, his, uh, his partner tragically passed, uh, Richard Mendez, but um, both were honored before game two, I believe, uh, with the Phillies. And it's just nice to see um, healing power of sports on prime time. I mean, sports can do some incredible things, bring some people together, and hopefully uh, gave him and, and their families a good little escape. So, um, cheering for Raul and the family of Richard Mendez, and I hope they are all doing well. And I hope the Phillies uh, can help them think about some positive things for a little while here. Very heartfelt. I love that. That's usually my job on this show. <laughs> so I'm glad. You no, um, than us. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, my route for honestly has been this baseball playoffs. I mean, yeah, it sucks the Brewers have been out, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the show, but. How can you not be a fan of the this year's Phillies team? I mean, I, I really was convinced that the Braves were going to win it all. Like I, to be honest with you guys, I don't think I've gotten maybe one or two series right based on like the bracket projection that you can make on MLB.com. But with that in mind, I mean, like I said, I it's been just it's been fun to watch. It's been a lot of upsets. You've seen we've had some pretty good moments along the way. Just classic October baseball. The only thing that's really been missing, I know this is probably going to be a hot take, is Joe Buck on Fox. Which I know Wisconsin sports fans hate Joe Buck for some reason. As a broadcaster, I think he's incredible, especially when it comes to baseball. Um, Shout out to Joe Buck, by the way, for inconspicuously dropping the baseball take during the Packer Raider Monday Night Football game a couple weeks ago. Um, The back and forth between him and Troy Aikman were Aikman was trying to hop on the Rangers bandwagon and Joe Buck says, I'll give you a hundred dollars if you can name four players on the Rangers. And Troy Aikman just goes, there was a time where I didn't work in October with you. What happened to that? Yeah, that was pretty funny. I mean, it was really one of like the two highlights from that game. It was that and Zach Tom's flop, right? Yeah. So, I'll take that. That's my positive that I've really held on to for the last two weeks from that game. Um, with the positives do come the negatives, though, then it brings us to our Tyler Hero Noogie of the Week. And Trevor, you look like you got something brewing here. So what is your Tyler Hero Noogie of the Week? Or for your sake, if you want to have like a Kevin King dumpster fire of the year because it's been three years, 
by all means, like drop your takes here. I'm going to give one to an entire uh, professional sports organization. How about that? Is that big enough? Um, The the NHL. Um, I I love the NHL, but for the casual fans, like it's a tough sport to fall into with when their season um, lands. Usually you can't see a game unless you're up at 11 o'clock at night watching a San Jose Sharks game. And to start the year, they had some great free games on primetime TV and it was awesome. And immediately after, they put pretty much all the games on uh, subscription TV, you know, NHL, Power Play, ESPN Plus. And for a league that needs a lot of fans, you'd think that they'd give their fans more free games to at least get into it first. And it just seems like at every turn with timing of the playoffs, timing of the season, everything, um, they just shoot themselves in the foot. So shame on you, NHL. Uh, have more games to get fans into your product because the playoffs in the NHL are electric. I will hardly agree with that. That's an excellent take. Yeah. Sean, what do you got for us on your nuggie? Um, I'm going to go the Brewers. Uh, you had to do it. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to beat you to it. So, <laughs> Surprisingly, the Brewers are not going to be my nuggie of the week. Oh, really? Oh, we were just going to down talk them later in the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's that is going to be very therapeutic in a number of minutes, but I was not going to do that here. Hey, because I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to get torn down and rebuilt or what we're we're kind of kind of at that lull where you can't win in the playoffs, but you're still making the playoffs kind of right where the Packers are. I mean, <laughs> pretty much. That is an excellent conversation to have on a little bit, Sean. So I'm yeah. going to leave that there. Yeah, we'll talk about that more later. My nookie of the week is going to go to the sport of fantasy football. It has literally driven me insane this year. I think I've gone two straight weeks where I have not won a single game in my five leagues. That's a I am, I'm hurting. And it's not like I have bad players. I mean, I have very high caliber players like there's weeks like in some of the leagues i'm just getting you know the best opponent of the week who has like the crazy week like jamar chase 52 or you know combined with like another running back who gets like 30 you know whatever the situation is but then you also get you know an egg from in my case like a guy like james cook who i just traded for (laughs) so it's just it's been it's been a rough year where I, and it's really hard to kind of pinpoint as to the spots of need. Like a lot of the receivers are, you know, we, we've seen Jamar Chase struggle. We've seen Justin Jefferson go down with injury now, and he's going to miss significant time. A lot of the big name running backs have missed time, but you also haven't had the handcuffs and the backups step up like in years past either. So, it's really a crapshoot any given week. And, you know, I can't even say, like, I have just, you know, I have, like, remorse because, I you know, I could look at my bench and be like, yeah, they all suck too. <laughs> like, I mean, I have podiums. I have, I'm literally the reigning champion of the Rupert Wisconsin Podcast League, so I know what I'm doing. But it's just been a rough and crazy year, and now... It seemed like everybody that played for San Francisco against Cleveland last week got hurt. So, you know, what are you supposed to do with that? Luckily, for their sake, they play Monday Night Football. So that's that's my nugget is the whole 
concept of fantasy football right now, which I'm sure possibly by this time next week, I'll be happier than a client. Because I'll probably go 4-1 and one or something like crazy or 5-0 and oh or whatever. It seemed to work for Shauna, who tried to trade Jamar Chase and just dumped on him for a good 10 minutes. And then he had the 52-point game. Mm-hmm. So kind of hoping maybe that's might what be you know might work out here i figure if people on this show are our listeners call me the jinx maybe i'll get like a little reverse action or i'll just bottom out it's gonna go one way or the other i'm two and four in the podcast league anyways so i'm just, i'm struggling in that one too <laughs> so i'm something's got to give right like it's either gonna go even more belly up which to be honest with you i'm not sure is capable of happening I had a league last week where I scored 70 points and I didn't even lose by that much. Like I, it was a final, like I think the final score, I got to get this pulled up here, but I think the final score was, that wasn't that one. It was my league that I had with some of my college friends, like my former roommates and, and whatnot. But the final score of this game last week, guys was, 81.76 to 84.28. And for what it's worth, that is a league where I have Bijan Robinson, Jonathan Taylor, Chris Godwin, George Kittle. George Kittle had one catch for one point last week. Mm-hmm. How is that possible? I don't know. Explain to me like I'm 12 how that's possible. I got nothing for you. Yeah. So just bad luck. And that is my noogie. <laughs> all right. So I'm in the money league, so that's all that matters, right? <laughs> <laughs> I am still doing okay enough, even with a rough week. A rough right. couple weeks here. I'm still, I think I'm four and two in that league. While we're talking about fantasy football, I do have to update our listeners on the Root for Wisconsin League. And as Sean and I both mentioned here, we are both struggling. Um, in the east side of the bracket or the standings, which is not based actually on geography because that's a lot more work than I want to do, but how ESPN breaks it down. Tyson Halla, Tyson is 6-0 and and is scoring points at an outstanding clip. He has 800.84 points for, which is over 70 points more than anybody else in the league. Or excuse me. 60 points, because, Sean, you are second most. Yeah. You're the second most points for. Um, so Tyson is at 6-0. and Ramsey is at 4-2. and The Lambeau Chef is at 3-3. Three and three. Sean, myself, and Justin are tied at 2-4, and four, although Justin has rattled off two straight now, now that he's actually putting an effort. Uh, on the flip side on the West Coast, Secretary Sean built board tough which is David Muller and Anthony Tornator are all at four and two cup and touchdowns, which is uh, Jordan Fightfield. He's at three and three and then bringing up the rear as always Kittles and bits and shoved up Jordan Fields and Mark Fisher. So Mark, my little brother, he was surprisingly competitive in this league last year, but he is not this year. So things have kind of righted the ship there. I will, I will say that. He got hot at the end of last year, so I think he rattled off six straight wins to end the, end the year. So you know, I talked. What, what can happen? <laughs> I talked earlier in the episode about how I was looking for a trade, and I 
I was able to pull off a running back trade last week uh, with the Lambo chef. But I was trying to get Mark, you know, he's at one and he was one and four. I'm like, Mark, let's get a deal done here. Like, let's figure something out. Let's let's be, you know, be a good little brother. Let's make a deal here, right? <laughs> you know what this mother says to me? He says, you know, had I not forgotten to set my lineup a couple weeks, I have a pretty good team, so I'm going to see if I can make a run. I'm like, you son of a bitch. Like... And he did not make a trade, and he did not. He has not, to this point, made a run. So I guess we'll see how that pans out. Uh, looking at matchups for this week, uh, we've got myself versus Team Tornator. Big game in the east side standings. Uh, also, we've got Sean and Jordan Fifield. So a little east-west at matchup there. Only Rams 5, Ramsey Thompson against David Moeller. Another big matchup for the West Side standings and really probably the premier matchup of the week. We've got the Lambeau Chef and Secretary Shauna. She's trying to hold on to uh, first place in that side of the, the conference as well. Tyson going against Kittles and Bits, which is Jordan Fields. Top of the line versus the bottom of the line. And then Team Doll and Chubbed Up see who can make that run with the two and four Team Doll and the one and five Chubbed Up Mark Fisher. So that's our fantasy action for the week. Uh, we'll get to our actual picks later in the show, but do want to update the standings here as well. After a banner week of a week that I should have gone to the casino and made some bets, I was twelve and three in NFL picks against the spread last week. Shauna was 10 and 5, and Sean, you brought it up with 8 and 7. We are all positive on the year. I'm at 56 and 37. Sean, you're at 53 and 40. Shauna is at 52 and 41. So, credit to us. Good for us. If you listen to us, statistically speaking, you will make money, but also play responsibly. So, we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. You got to make your picks when we when we don't do the podcast, then you do better. That is because you always change mind. <laughs> that's a valid point. I just go with your gut, right? All right. Um, typically speaking, here this is where we would do our Wisconsin web story of the week, and we are. I'm going to try to find one here as well. But in the meantime, I came across a discussion I wanted to bring up today, and. Sean, I know I asked you this, so I want to get Trevor's take on this as well and kind of introduce him to our audience. So I want to, I'm going to, we're going to ask you some tough hitting questions here, Trevor. Are you ready? Oh boy. Uh, I think so. Okay. So the first one I want to ask, and I saw this, this is courtesy of a post that came from our Reddit screenshot. Hypothetically, you start with the ball at half court against Kawhi Leonard in a high school gym with six hoops. He has to check the ball to you. Once he checks it to you, you have 10 minutes to score on any hoop. Every time you miss, so if you miss a shot, you get the ball back at half court. In that 10 minutes, can you score once? It depends on what kind of defense he's playing. I know that's a cop-out, but like, if Kawhi Leonard is the guy who checks it to you and puts it into your chest and is right in front of you, I'm scoring none. There's no chance. But, you know, if he checks it to you and gives you a little bit of a buffer, 
I think in 10 minutes, I might be able to somehow luck into getting one on one of the other hoops. But that's the only way. See, I, I, I put a lot more thought into this today than I probably should have. And I had a couple ways this could work. So first of all, you are correct in the whole... Because I, I accounted for that. I said, if Kawhi's going to be a bitch and you know walk up on you as he's checking the ball, which, again, terrible move. But if he's going to pull that route, yeah, you're kind of screwed. However, while it's not quantifiable, you do have the fact that he has to defend six hoops. So even if that's the case, you get the ball at half court, you turn around and you take like a beeline to like one of those other three hoops behind you. It takes two steps of your step, like one of our steps. Yeah, he has to, you know, he's bigger, faster, stronger than all of us. But I feel like you can create just enough room to get off like a three-eighths court floater with a step and a half-court heave. I feel like it's doable. I really do. And also, our free throw is a part of this. Because... If I stop on a dime and pull the Chris Paul special and he runs into the back of me, I'm knocking down both free throws, no problem. But if he can just ram into me and I just get the ball back, then, then I mean, I'm just going to get abused. I don't know if that's counter. That's a, that is an excellent mm-hmm. point into this. Because if that's the case, I'm pulling every James Harden, like, <laughs> double fake and I, I don't think he's gonna jump but maybe like the first time he will and i'm going to the line i'm thinking one of those and i'll probably think three but i'll think one of them and i'll walk it off that's a big win I didn't that's think an excellent that. point that i didn't think of right i didn't think of that way either sean what was your answer i i think you could do it or i think i could do it but it probably would be five seven minutes in you know you just got to wear them down a little bit see i think i think you have to get it early think so i i think it's like a half court heave early because yeah he's been the proponent and and the the strongest person for the you know the the load management nonsense so I, I'm thinking if that's the case, I mean, he's going to be in prime time shape. Whereas, you know, I don't know about you, Trevor, but I can say that neither one of us are in our prime time shape, which is not even close to NBA prime time shape. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, to to put it uh, in a mental picture for the listeners, I'm 5'9", maybe 160 soaking wet. <laughs> so if it's a physical battle, I'm just not going to win. And if we're talking running, I can run. But, I mean, when he starts smacking you going for the boards, good luck. I mean, you, you know, if you, although if you have that foul, because you don't really need to go for the boards in this, this scenario. Because anytime it's a miss, you go back to half court. So you do have that on your side. Or actually, all of us have it on our side. Think but, be able to, like, double dribble and everything? Or you think that, think that would be... Well, I think for conversation's sake, if we're going to have fouls, I think you have to, like, get to play the jig. by the rules. But 
if it's not in the case, like if I can pick that bitch up and just like three yards in a cloud of dust carry it, <laughs> there's hope. And and also whose rules? Because if I get the NBA gather step, oh baby, it's over. <laughs> but if I get the college gather step, we have a little bit of a problem. Or the high school gather step where there there is none. <laughs> right. See, and speaking with that too, you get the NBA step for the three two and the pump fake. Like the, this is a doable. I, I really do feel like this is doable. I don't. I don't know if you could call fouls or you could do the do the whole free throw thing. I don't think that would work. In in the rule book, you'd probably just go back to half court. But yeah, I feel like you'd have to do it where. It's a call-your-own-foul thing. Right, and are you really going to call a foul every time? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially if this is hypothetically, the, the the conversation that I saw did not have, like, a dollar amount or, like, a monetary thing, but I'm assuming Kawhi's not doing this for nothing. And I'm also very much assuming that there's got to be some sort of stake in mind. So if that's the case, I'm calling a hand check. I'm getting him in the bonus. He puts a finger on me. We're calling a hand check. Yeah, and I mean, if you start calling enough fouls, he's going to get mad. He's going to start throwing hands. He gets ejected. <laughs> what happens if he gets ejected? I think that's free reign on the hoop. Unless it's three-on-three three rules, in which case personal fouls don't count. But then again, you still get to the bonus. This is a very good hypothetical that made me very happy today, and I think it was a very... I am disappointed by the amount of people that I talked to today and, and that I've seen in, like, in the comments and different things because it's been going around the internet who said that they could not, that they don't believe in themselves that they could do it. Yeah. That's the first step to doing it, self-belief. Come on, guys. Oh, right. I mean, like, I'm very much like, I, this was a big thing on the internet a couple weeks back, but there's the old, it's the old, like, as a guy, like, do you think, given instructions, that you could land a plane? Totally. 100%. How different is it from the plane simulator at Discovery World? I, I fail to see how it's any different. Well, and I mean, you, there's that. There's, I mean, you can get the PC and Xbox game of, you know, flying planes. The only problem is it's not available for PlayStation. So Sean and I are a little screwed, but. And. And did they say land it safely or land it at all? Because I can land it. I just don't know how safely. That's another very valid point that we cannot not mention. Right. I, I like that a lot. That's. I'm assuming people have to survive. But um. does the whole plane <laughs> have to survive? Like if we take out like half or one or two? And does it count if somebody parachutes out? Right. There are multiple things that can go right for you here. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so a couple more. I'm just pulling these up. So these are mainly for you, Trevor, but I, I want to get the whole the whole take here. So some some of the best sports hypotheticals. Just to really get our listeners familiar with you here. Would you rather win the NIT tournament or lose in the second round of the tournament to Lehigh? 
NIT. NIT. Uh, because even if Lehigh is good, you're going to get clowned for that for the rest of your career. Um, NIT is something, right? Like it's a championship. Um, there are some decent teams that get there. You know, it's it's not much. It's not great. But, I mean, you know, experience is experience. So, Sean? I would go with the NIT also. Just because who's gonna who's gonna know if you you just say you want a tournament in the NC or NCAA tournament, who's gonna know? <laughs> you know, honestly, I think I would rather do the NCAA tournament. I would take that loss to Lehigh because one of two things. As a fan, either the ba- it's the Badgers and I have enough positive things to hang my hat on, or as a Green Bay alum. I'm saying, hey, holy shit, we made the second round. That's very fair. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see if I can find another one here. Would you listen to all of Manti Teo's phone calls with the hoaxer if it meant that your team would win the college football playoff championship? <laughs> Oh, I thought there was an or coming. Oh, no, no, um, that's a would you would you do it for this trade off? Yeah, yeah, of course I would. I mean, it can't be that bad. It's got to be kind of funny, you know. And on top of that, like, I love the Badgers, but the divisions are going away, and Oregon and Washington are coming to town. So, like, and USC and UCLA. Like, we we kind of need one, and and it's going to be a while. So, so I'll take one for the team. Plus, it's like. You'd be a hero, you know. Can you imagine the cult following you'd get? You know, oh man, talk about free publicity. <laughs> be the shock. <laughs> See, after watching that Netflix documentary, I just feel bad for Manti Teo. Right. So, at this point, and the the article I was kind of going off these is from when it peak happened. So, like we all thought he was a, a clown, but. Would you rather watch a regular season game, either, you know, it says courtside here, but so either courtside or on the 50-yard line or, you know, best seat in the house or attend a high-stakes championship game, but you're in the rafters? Ooh, I think it depends. Because Super Bowl, I've heard that the – the atmosphere isn't that great because it's just a lot of people from all over. So if if we're talking Super Bowl, I'd probably go like courtside or whatever. But if it's something like the World Cup or um, NBA Finals and your team is in it, I think I'd have to be in the rafters. I'd have to be in the building. I would agree. Like that's that's 100%. Would you rather retire as a forgotten coach with a winning record or a famous coach for known for losing championships? Famous coach, because I'd forever have a job at like Fox Sports or ESPN. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for the retirement and the monetary gain. You know, it's nice to be ne- remembered for something most of the time. I'd like to think so. I'll, I'll take the losses. Oh, Absolutely. 
hundred percent. Although, you know, we, when we look back, the legacy of Eli Manning, is it going to be for beating the Patriots twice, but still having a losing or still having a losing record? Probably Patriots. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did, did you realize, so I was scrolling through TikTok today and it said that Eli Manning's only playoff wins are those two Super Bowls or are those two Super Bowl seasons. He that never was for that, or in the meantime. That's ridiculous. Right. Because those both came against us. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's annoying. You we'll know, talk I, more about that in a little bit, Sean, because I have some stuff to say about this, too. You know, I got a hypothetical question for you guys, too, if you want. Let's go for it. It's one of my favorite hypotheticals. Um, so... Who do you guys think, first of all, is the most darling, uh, you know, USA athlete right now? Like, nobody hates them. They're in the spotlight. Yeah. Simone Biles, probably. I was thinking, too. Okay. So my hypothetical question is, you have to choose, would you rather take a punch from Prime Mike Tyson or you don't have to take a punch from Prime Mike Tyson, but in return, he has to punch Simone Biles, and everybody in the USA knows it's because you made him do it. <laughs> you know, I think Simone Biles' reputation could take this one. No. <laughs> I'm... 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 I can stomach that because again, you know, I'm thinking about this way, you know, how much we still talk about that NBA ref, uh, Tim Donahue or Tim Donahue who fixed games. We still talk about him. He got a job in pro wrestling being an official and stuff. I mean, there's, that's a legacy. Like it's not a great legacy, but if Skip Bayless can have a career in delivering bad sports takes and being pretty universally hated, I think I can, I can stomach that and, and just let Simone Biles eat that one. No, I'm taking the punch for Mike Dyson. You're such a gentleman, Sean. And I, 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 (laughs) you're a gentleman. Here's my way of looking at it, right? If you take it, you're going to be forgotten about in two days. Right. If you give it to Simone Biles, no press is bad press. And if you're telling me root for Wisconsin (laughs) wouldn't blow up overnight, you're losing your mind. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly how I'm looking at this. Yeah. Is that is that what you're doing too, Trevor? Oh, yeah, Simone Biles take every that? single day of the week. <laughs> what would you have said if we said like Michael Phelps or is that the, still the same? Does it not matter? Or is because Simone Biles is kind of like that that face of U.S. Olympics right now. I gotta be honest. It could be my sister. Significant. Like, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not taking that punch, man. There's no way. Have you seen Mike Tyson? No way. <laughs> That's an inc- I, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> I, I would, yeah, Simone Biles can take that one. Speaking of, there was a headline today where Simone Biles said she will be in attendance at Lambeau Field, Packers Chiefs. So these celebrities may be out that night. Oh, she's coming with Taylor Swift? I don't know. It's <laughs> It's lining up that way, Sean. <laughs> 
have tickets skyrocketed for that game yet? I'm sure I will check here in a second, but I'm assuming so. I be- actually, I think I saw a news story on that the other day. I know that they have. So that game is oh yeah. So according to the game time app, like they have like the range of these tickets and the starting point. The two games prior to it, as of right now, which is it's baffling to me that it's this high yet. But I digress. The two games, bef- the game before it and the game after it, Chargers Packers, which is a noon kickoff on Sunday, is going for one sixty eight and up, which is still probably entirely too much in my book. But regardless, that also includes feats because of how I have my my app set up. The Buccaneers Packers, which is also set for a noon kickoff at Lambeau on Sunday the seventeenth. Is going for 134. The Chiefs and Packers, which is Sunday Night Football as of right now, we know flex scheduling, but given the historic value of those two teams and who may or may not be in attendance, probably going to stay that way, starts at $260. Again, that is with fees included. Um, You know, looking through, and this is for like the 700 section, it's like, 280, 290, 300. The best, the quote unquote best deal because they've you know put value in in the seat and all that stuff um, would be section one twenty nine row fifty two. You look at three hundred fifteen dollars per ticket. The highest ticket for that one, by the way, um, not counting the club seats or like the Champions Club because those are always expensive. But for a non like indoor box for section four oh five you're looking at twelve hundred dollars twelve sixteen per ticket that's him get smoked yeah <laughs> well the people you know we said this on the show a couple weeks back the people who are going to this game I mean I want to be wrong about this but I know I'm not going to be they are not going because they love the Green Bay Packers and are going to be cheering the whole game. That is very much 100% going to be a Instagram post game. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like uh, when the Bucks first made the playoffs um, at the Bradley Center, right? I mean, the first round, it wasn't, it wasn't the Bucks fans. It was people to take pictures, drink drinks, and uh, and that's just unfortunately what it is. So... If you're looking for an atmosphere, don't go to that game, that's for sure. Yeah. So that is that. <laughs> so we are we do have a uh, Wisconsin Web Story of the Week, and this is brand new off the press at the Wisconsin State Journal, is that lawmakers in Wisconsin, because there's so much going on politically right now, but the lawmakers of Wisconsin are planning to make a resolution to make the brandy old-fashioned cocktail Wisconsin's official state cocktail. This is what we're working on. Uh, so this is the article. Uh, Got to give credit to Alexander Schur, uh, the writer of this, again, Wisconsin State Journal. First of all, sweet or sour? Sweet. Uh, this is going to lose all viewership and all love for me, but I actually don't drink and I've never had one. Um, so I don't know. 
you know, you're actually not the first person that we've had on this podcast that does not drink. So I, I respect it. It's not mine. I, I, I'm also sweet. But I also will say, and I saw this, this was actually kind of what made it really stand out and why the, I'm glad we're, that they actually have this going on in the world. Uh, Milwaukee weather personality Mark Baden posted yesterday that he is a not a Brandy fan and that like the people when he mentioned it were going off in his mentions on, on X or Twitter or whatever uh, because he's rather prefer a bourbon old fashioned. Which, for what it's worth, I think would be my opinion on the steak, too. So, I anyway. I second that when I did. So, here's the news article. Uh, starts with sweet or sour. You can have it either way, and if two Wisconsin lawmakers get their way, you'll be drinking Wisconsin's official state cocktail this time next year, or the next time that you order a brandy old-fashioned. Just don't ask for whiskey instead of brandy. Representative John Plummer of Lodi and Senator Corey Tomchik of Mosinee set out a resolution Wednesday seeking to make the brandy old-fashioned Wisconsin's official state cocktail. They sent out statistics to back up their case. Oh, man, this is very sad. Wisconsin accounts for over half of Corbell's annual brandy sales in the United States. <laughs> purchasing over 150,000 cases of Corbell brandy in 2019 alone. The story of the cocktail, the resolution authors state, began in World War II when American distilleries halted their normal operations to provide Europe with grain. Not long after, Wisconsinites found 30,000 cases of Christian Brothers brandy in the state. Then came bitters, ice, sugar, a soft drink, sour mix, or club soda, oranges, cherries, olives, and pickled vegetables. The old fat, quote, the old fashion has become an unmistakable symbol of Wisconsin, its residents, and its unique culture. The resolution authors continue. Wisconsin has a large number of official symbols. Its official symbol of peace is the morning dove, insect is the honeybee, tree is the sugar maple, bird is the robin, and the flower is the wood violet. The official pastry is a kringle. The official fruit is a cranberry. The official herb is ginseng, and the official dairy product is cheese. And then its official state cocktail, we will see. So big things happen in the dairy <laughs> state, boys. Apparently. I didn't know. We have a state. The state dances polka. Which is not surprising. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at. I, I'm trying to find the official list of all of our official symbols. We have an official dog. It's the water spaniel. Secretary Shauna, she's doing some some teacher stuff and. She is, teaches fourth grade, which is when you learn Wisconsin social studies. And she is just nodding along. She's just like, yep, that's right. The water spaniel. Let's see what else. The state domestic animal, which is different than the state dog, is the dairy cow. Uh, the fish that's is the, we have a state, <laughs> we have a state fish, which is the muskie or the musclunge. Um, we have a state fossil, which is the trilobite, which, I mean, it looks like, if you guys ever, play, if you grew up playing Pokemon, it looks like Harden. Um, the cranberry, state grain is, we have a state grain, which is corn, 
the state we have a state mineral of which is galena which is uh red granite thanks to kenosha or the state rock which is different so we have a state mineral and a state rock which is red granite uh the state soil is antigo soil which i didn't know they had their own soil Now Sean is just saying that she could have told us all of this. What's the what's the state tartan? Exactly. I don't even know. Do we have a state sausage? I gotta assume it's a bratwurst. I I don't know that for a fact. I'm looking. Uh, we have a state waltz, which is the Wisconsin waltz, different from the polka. <laughs> the tree is the sugar maple. Wildlife animals. The deer is the wildlife animal. I, I I really could just go on and on with these. Like I said, I don't, what's the difference between a waltz and a dance? Like, I mean, is are we really at that, at that point of splitting hairs with our state symbols where it's, you know, like you can have one, this is the official beer, this is the official soft drink of the NFL, this is the official citrus drink of the NFL. Are we really at that point? It appears that we are. There's a, there's a Wikipedia page for this. This is awesome. <laughs> We're going off the rails. <laughs> yeah, we really are. But uh, the symbol of peace, like I said, is the morning dove. Um, I guess there's not as many as I thought. The state animal. Okay, here's where I got. Here's where we really need to stop. This is where the the, the argument stops. We have a state animal which is the badger, which makes sense, was established in 1957, the same year that they also established that the wildlife animal is the white-tailed deer. Badgers live in the wild. Like, what are we doing? What about the ones that live in the zoo? I guess that might be the, <laughs> the difference here. We're, we're, we're really not going to go back to the domestic animal being a cow? <laughs> exactly. Specifically, exactly. the dairy cow, which happened in 1971. Like at this point, like just give us a the state IPA, the state lager, the state cold brew. Like, come on. I gotta feel that it's coming. Uh, the most recent state symbol, which was the Kringle, which is in 2013. So it seems like every few years we're kind of going at this. Of all things, aside from like the state flag and symbol and motto and stuff, which is. I feel like job one is a state, but apparently that took it took almost thirty five years to pick out the seal of Wisconsin, the state seal. So that took thirty five years. The state motto came before the state flag did, uh, which still took three years to figure out a motto. I feel like that's all stuff you should have day one. But the first symbol was the wood violet in nineteen o nine, and really since then we have it nothing better to do with our time. Legislatively speaking, every probably ten years or so. I I will say I do love the visual that after the 2012 craziness hit, we said, you know, what we almost forgot is making Kringle a state symbol. I do love that visual. Like we got to get on it quick, boys. We don't know when the next one's coming. Right. <laughs> Which I I also have to add in here, looking at the picture and the you know all the pictures have gone with this like on the wikipedia page and the wisconsin state journal one there are two very distinct styles of kringle which I, i'm mad that i know this 
but there's the Racine Kringle or Racine Kringle. Trevor, which one do you use? Uh, Racine. Okay, good. But you have the Racine Kringle, but then you also have the pretzel-style Uncle Mike's Kringle, which is probably, at this point, more known, (coughs) or borderline more known throughout the rest of the world. But the Racine Kringle style is is the one. Uh, Prior to the Kringle, the last one that we had prior to that was the Wisconsin Tartan, which I'm probably not pronouncing right. But Wisconsin Tartan, it's just like it's like a plaid. You guys can't see, but it's plaid. That's that's what we decided we need to figure out is they need to have blue, green, red plaid as an official symbol. We did that in 2007. In 2001, which I'm I'm wanting to assume this is pre 9/11, but if this is post 9/11, kind of like what you said, actually 2003 we did the cranberry as the official fruit. But 2001, we said, you know what? We need the Wisconsin Waltz and the ballad, the state ballad, which is, oh, oh, Wisconsin, land of my dreams. Yeah. And then prior to that, um, none in our lifetimes. Looks like we took some time off in the 90s and really thought about ourselves. Because in the 80s, we had a few. We had, in 1985, we did the American Water Spaniel. In 1989, we said, we need a state grain. It's corn. In 1985, we said, we need a state fossil. In 1983, we did the state soil. I lied. There is one in the 1990s. The accomplishment of the 1990s was naming the state dance the polka. And in 1987, we also had milk as the official beverage of the state of Wisconsin. So we're going to have milk and then potentially a state cocktail. So milk and brandy old fashions. Perfect. I can't <laughs> wait to know what the next one's going to be. After, what what do you guys think we need to have as the next thing that gets figured out? State podcast, our podcast. I, well, right. Besides <laughs> that, though, I mean, like, we're um, we're literally rooting for Wisconsin while we're rooted <laughs> in Wisconsin. I mean, that's that's step one. But I'm thinking the state light bulb. Um, I think that's a good one to knock out. You know, I I would have to say as an as a Kohler employee, we do make lighting. I it's not it's assembled in Desoto, Texas, but. It is a Kohler brand, so I will, I will sign off on that. I think you're right. I think the state beer is coming next. I feel like like a Miller Lite or a state IPA, and that's probably on the docket. Sean, what what say you? Uh, I I'd probably agree with you with the state beer and everything that way. I'd agree with you on that. I think that's the next thing. Can we really go back-to-back alcohol selections, though? I mean, is that... I mean, first of all, it's not surprising. Right. I mean, let's call a spade a spade, but... Because what, what's the thing for drunkest counties in the U.S.? and how All many of them are here. <laughs> yeah, right. 
including the mainstay here in Green Bay is the drunkest city. Also the best city to live in. I think there's some correlation there. I I don't disagree. I wouldn't agree with you that Green Bay is the best city to live in. I, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying what the people <laughs> say, Sean. That, that is a study and metrically proven for the world that we live in in 2023. Green Bay is statistically the best city to live in. No. Whether or not you agree with it, that's beyond me. But I'm just saying it is a point of conversation. No. So, all right. No Secretary Sean on the show this week, uh, which probably this would have been great trivia. But this is what we're going to use for our trivia. We're informing our listeners of our state. You know, a little repeat of fourth grade. So, shout out, shout out to Secretary Shauna doing her teacherly duty while not on the episode. Which leads us to the world of sports. Uh, let's get the hard one over with, which is the Milwaukee Brewers lose in their best of three set to the Arizona Diamondbacks, who now lead the NLCS series two to one after a walk off tonight that just went final a few minutes ago. No, Philly leads two to one. I do apologize. Had that wrong, but they they get their first win in the best of seven series here. So Arizona uh, cruised through the second place Dodgers, avoid the Braves, and they are playing the Phillies for the NLCS. Which a lot of pressure on the Diamondbacks. They would be the first team to beat the Brewers in the playoffs and not advance to at least the World Series. Yes. Beyond, I mean, only twice has the team that beat the Brewers in the playoffs, which, I mean, it's not a whole lot. We've got seven appearances. But in those seven appearances, five times the team has won the World Series. The only times they have not was 2018 and 1981, the Yankees and the Dodgers, respectively. Now, 1982 is kind of a cop-out because it was the World Series. But still, still counts. Yeah, I mean, it it hurts. Um, You know, talking about the series, actually, I I don't know about you guys. I thought Arizona was the last team I wanted to play. Um, You know, they have a lot of good X factors, good young players. Um, Can't speak enough about the front end of that pitching staff. Um, They're just one of those teams that they're just built for the postseason. Um, And, you know, you look at the Cubs, the Cubs don't scare anybody. Marlins, their pitching has had problems. Um, You know, it's tough. And for the Brewers, I think really the series ended, um, if I'm being honest, on that Longoria catch. Um, I I think if the Brewers get that, they win game one um, because I don't think they're going to give up that many runs uh, with the lead. And, you know, if you win game one, they're playing a lot more loose game two. Um, They missed a lot of opportunities both games. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they do because, I mean, the Brewers have been running about a lot, and that's fair. They're winning the division. But at some point, you know, they've won one of their last ten in the playoffs. Um, And that's just – it's just not good enough. 
unless you're Mark Adonazio and you just want to win the division, get the money and go, which that's your strategy. That's fine. Um, but clearly if you want to get back to that postseason success, something's got to give here. Yeah. I, I, I would say I would disagree with you only in the sense that I think that series was probably over the second that they announced Brandon Woodruff was I no go. It, it just felt, you know, every, that's the other thing. ESPN, like in the second inning of the first game, it's like, oh, here's all the players who've gotten hurt in Brewers playoff runs. Thanks. Right. Let's get reminded of our own futility as we're leading the game at that time and then just waiting for the inevitable. But no, I would agree in terms of actual on field, like quantifiable. I Yeah, that, that moment where. Longoria snags that catch, and that was a double play, too, if I'm not mistaken. He threw out, uh, I want to say, Contreras behind him at second. Yeah, that that was a huge move where it's like, okay, we're not scoring because it's like that that Dodger series where they got swept on the West Coast before they rattled off like 10 straight, where we can hit the ball hard, but every time we hit it somewhere, someone's catching it. So... Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, there's a couple conversations to have. First of all, we can look back at this last season. Um, I kind of wanted to go through our season awards uh, after only one brewer actually nominated for a Golden Glove, which was a little surprising. It ends up being Carlos Santana, which would not have expected. But he does the Brewers' lone nominee there. So I'm going to ask you guys in terms of if we do a most valuable player, a Cy Young, a rookie slash newcomer of the year, and a most improved for this Brewers team. I'm curious what you guys both think. And I think the MVP conversation, I'm gonna, I, I think it's a two-horse race. And I'm going to say... For my sake, and because I'm I'm going to kind of cover myself here, I'm going to give it to William Contreras. Where William Contreras, I mean, offensively speaking, was far and away the most consistent player all season, which only hurts more because the playoffs, he seemed to have a two-game funk of being non-existent, it seemed like, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, was the most consistent offensive player defensively improved significantly, which the Brewers always seem to do with catchers. You know, everybody talks about a pitching lab, which the Brewers do have a very good one of those, but whatever they do with catchers defensively, I don't know if it's just some Milwaukee voodoo or what it is, but ever since Jonathan Lucroy, defensively speaking, when you look at like Martin Maldonado, who is still somehow playing in the league, and you look at what the transformation of Yasmani Grandal and Omar Narvaez and even making Manny Pena get a pretty decent contract from the Braves. They've tur- they've made catchers work defensively and constantly are at the top end. What do you guys got? Yeah, I got I got Contreras too. Um I think it's easy to answer. I think the only thing that I can really point to that you'd want anything more from him is the home runs. And I mean, that's, I mean, he still had, I think 18, 17, that's, you know, 
that's plenty fine there. Um, he's a great player. I'm happy you got him locked up until 2028, I think. And uh, I, I love him. He's one of my favorite catchers in the league before he came here, and he definitely is now. Sean? I totally agree with Contreras. Contreras being the MVP. I just think he hit, he was the only one that was consistent all year. So. so he did lead the team. He was the he did lead the team in average at a 289 average. He was third in home runs. He had 17. Um, he was second in RBIs. He was two behind Willie Domus in RBIs, and was second on the team in runs scored with 86, which was 20 behind Christian Yelich. Um, on base percentage, he was second by 0. 0.3, 0. 0.03. Uh, Christian Yelich had a 37% on base percentage, uh, or 0. 0.370. Contreras, 0. 0.367. So basically, I mean, led the team in slugging at 457. Um, OPS he led, hits he led, doubles he led, tied for third or tied for fourth in triples. With one, but still. <laughs> um, Brian Anderson actually tied Bryce Terang for team leading triples. So make of that what you will. And then uh, Walks Contreras was third. So just about every offensive metric, uh, third in games, he played 141 games. So basically, every metric you look at is William Contreras, Carl, or Willie Adamas, and Christian Yelich. But the ones that matter the most, I would have to give to Contreras. Uh, defensively, did lead in quite a few of the metrics as well. Um, looks like he actually led the team in putouts, which. A little surprised by, but I'll take it. So, William Contreras for MVP. The Brewers, Cy Young. I'll let Sean go first, because I'm curious what he's thinking here. Um, I think I'm going to go Devin Williams. Okay. That's who I'm going to go with. Just because I don't think Woodruff, Woodruff wasn't... Well, he didn't play for... Or he got hurt for how long. Corbin Burns wasn't Corbin Burns. And Freddie struggled most of the year. So, I think Williams just based on consistency. I'm going to throw a name in here that does not get the love that he should. I'm going to give this to Hobie Milner. Colby Milner had 73 games pitched in this year, which is an absurd amount. For the regular season, he was 2-1 with a 1.82 ERA, 59 strikeouts over 64.1 innings. Um, and, the I mean, the further stats, I mean, the amount of runs that he inherited and prevented is incredible. You were talking about a leverage guy who is playing almost half of your games as a team coming out of the bullpen. Hobie Milner gets my... I, w- I was initially leaning Devin Williams, 
But as I look at some of these numbers, Hopi Milner is my Cy Young for this Brewers team. And for what it's worth, uh, for those who like the stat of war, sixth and five above them are starters. So, um, but for me, uh, uh, you know, Williams and Milner are there. Um, I'm going to give it to a guy, you know, he didn't show up much. He wasn't in many games, but Cy Young is about who shows up in the big situations. Um, so I'm going to give it to Rowdy Tellez. I think he deserves it. Um, he only pitched an inning, but he he closed down the division. Uh, nine strikeouts per nine. Whip of just one. Devin Williams is .92. Um, so I'm giving it to the big fella. Can't argue that. I, I I really I don't have an argument for that. So I will I will have to agree. All right. What else to have? Newcomer of the year. I wanted to kind of be vague on this one because we can go with the rookies. We can go with an acquisition. Newcomer of the year. And Trevor, since we've kind of gone in rotation here, you get to go first in this one. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a big part of me wants to go with Garrett Mitchell because I think the team looks so different when he's there. Um, but I don't think he played enough. Um, I think a guy that gets swept under the run rug is Andrew Monasterio. Um, again, for the war fans, he was fifth on the team. Um, batting 259, 330 OBP. You know, I, I know there's a lot of other stuff that goes into that, but um, we didn't really know what we'd get out of him this year. And he played 92 games. He could fill in multiple positions. He doesn't really have a huge bat, but um, solid defensively to me. He gets on base, and he's just one of those guys. He reminds me almost of a better version of Hernan Perez. You can just place him anywhere, and you're fine. Um, so I'll give it to him. That's an excellent. I, I love that pick. Um, I'm tempted, just as an I told you so, to say Josh Donaldson here, because I know that was a very unpopular move when it was made, but I think it actually worked out pretty well, uh, to the point where I know everyone was talking about him being a, a clubhouse cancer. And, you know, we had talked on this show, me and Sean, and me and Shauna and Sean, about, you know, all he has to do, because it's probably his last run, is not getting his own way if that is the case for a month is all he would have had to do um which by the way i'm gonna say i am not so sure he was the problem after this story came out because rowdy Telez was interviewed and they said the first thing you know he introduced himself to to josh johnson and said hey i'm rowdy or i don't know if he said i'm ryan because that's his actual birth name but um says hey i'm rowdy and he says you know who i am and they asked him if he was on a seafood diet, which I'm thinking these other clubhouses just don't have a sense of humor because Josh Donaldson seems hilarious. I, that's awesome. Um, for what it's worth, statistically, I mean, the average was awful because it was so bad with the Yankees. Where his time in Milwaukee, I still think because of the limited at-bats that he had, it wasn't great. But he did have some pretty decent moments with Milwaukee, which offensively I think he was exactly what he needed to be. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the popular pick here. Uh, Andrew Monasterio is a great pick, but I'd have to go Sal Fralick. The guy I think of this whole rookie class, I think Monasterio was probably the most slept on. But you, that conversation starts and ends with Sal Fralick in my book. Uh, Mark Canna was a very close second in terms of actual production. Uh, I would love to have him back with the, the team option next year 
But in terms of, I mean, Salfrey, like from the second he became, you know, he debuted against the Braves and had the huge game and Brewers got the win. And that game was a July regular season game that felt like a playoff game. Most consistent of the rookies, most, you know, just at one, I mean, since he came up, he was basically batting fourth the entire time. A guy who does not hit for power, but hits for doubles was our cleanup hitter, and that does not get talked about enough. So I, I'm going to go South Frelick as my newcomer of the year. Sean? Um, I'm going to go Carlos Santana. Okay. Because I think that was, that was the pickup that you needed at the trade deadline that gave you that, that another, another bat that we always talked about that we were always lacking in that first base consistency with Rowdy being hurt at that time. And we've never really had a, what a consistent first baseman since Prince Fielder. <laughs> and even he really wasn't defensively. He was terrible. Right. I, I saw a TikTok video talk about how he is like the second worst fielder ever. And the only one who's worse, metrically speaking is Derek Jeter. Like, defensive war, run saved, he was, like, the worst shortstop. And he's, like, the worst defensive player ever. That makes sense. I I was baffled by that, because, I mean, you think of the, the high, you know, you think of the Jeter throw, it's the equivalent of shouting Kobe with a, you know, shot to the trash can, but you think of the Jeter throw, you think of the flip against the A's, I mean, there's so many moments you can point to, and the error numbers weren't there, but in terms of run saved, awful. But, yeah, Carlos Santana, which, again, I did not expect him to be National League Gold Glove top three finalist. Right. Not that he's bad. He's not, he, doesn't, he has more range than Rowdy does. But That's not very much. Did not factor him for that conversation. Aside from how much he flies into the nets and how much he flies into dugouts. Which is, I'm assuming, terrifying. All right. And then the last of the award categories for our conversation here, uh, we do have the most improved category. And for this one, this was who I kind of was splitting MVP votes with. I'm going to say it's Christian Yelich. And I, I hate the fact that, you know, for how much the team pays him, they were having a most improved conversation with him. But aside from the home run totals, which 19 is nothing to scoff at. It's not what you kind of expect when he first came over here. First of all, should have been a gold glove finalist in my book for left field. Played in 141 games. Was incredibly, or 144 games, excuse me, not counting postseason. He hit for 278 on the season. Led the team in on-base percentage. Let the team in runs exactly, I mean, truly a quintessential leadoff hitter with a little bit of pop. And really, I think he sets the tone for the lineup, doing exactly what you need him to do at the top of that lineup. Uh, yeah, if the, if the power numbers were there, you know, like it had been in 2018, 2019, even better. I think those days may be behind us, but didn't really have a stint down the IL. And... 
The only thing I can say negative about him, aside from the home run totals, is that he doesn't have the clutch gene like, you know, you want your superstar to. But really, I don't think there's been a true clutch brewer since Ryan Braun retired. So that aside, I mean, Yelich, like I said, leads in almost every or is first or second in every offensive category. Um Except triples. He is tied for fourth with one triple, which he is also tied with William Contreras, Sal Freilich, Garrett Mitchell, Andrew Monasterio, Carlos Santana, Tyrone Taylor, and Rowdy Telez, who all have one triple, which is incredibly baffling to me. (laughs) Based on this list, the only one I'm thinking that's missing is Victor Caratini. All right, Trevor, who is your most improved? It's it's Yelich, too. Um, Ten less games played than last year. Five more homers, 19 more RBIs. I mean, he had a higher RBI pace than, you know, when he was hitting 36, 44 homers. You know, nine more stolen bases. You brought up the average. I mean, just everything across the board improved. Um, And it kind of gets lost in the shuffle, I think, too, because overall they did so bad, but... I know he only had eight at-bats, but he had four hits in those eight at-bats in the postseason um, and two walks. He did his part in the playoffs. So, um, you know, he, he was worth his salary this year, and that's great. And I'm, I'm happy for him. And, um, you know, if this is what we can get moving forward, I, will, I think all Brewers fans will be taking that. Sean? I'm going to go the same thing with you guys and go Christian Yelich. You guys hit pretty much on every, everything that – I would need to say there. Yeah, I really can't think of another player who probably would fit the mold, but I wanted to give him an award and I couldn't give him an MVP. Um, okay. The only other one that I kind of thought of was maybe Freddie, just for his second half when he. Sure. The second half he had. But that would. Yelich is more, more deserving than what Freddie is. I would say my second place for this award, and it's not because he was not for his performance as a brewer, but just as a career, Yoel Piamps went from journeyman, you know, kind of, if you if you play like MLB The Show, he's like the first pitcher that gets sent down every, anytime that you have like an injury or whatever, like when it auto does the rosters, without fail, it's always Piamps. But the guy was probably the second or third, probably the third most because I already gave it to Hobie Milner, but you look at that bullpen and how incredible they were to the, you know, the 92 win season, or the 91 win season this year. <clears throat> you don't do that without Yoel Piamps pitching the eighth inning. Especially when he comes in and you know, you're still, for some reason, focusing on the Matt Bush era, which is actually going to lead me in my next conversation here, but the Matt Bush era put the Brewers in a significantly like hurting spot where they needed to figure out, you know, the back end of that bullpen and Yoel Pionce locked down that eighth inning. And really, I mean, you got to a point with him and Pagaro and Abner Uribe, your starter only had to go five or six. And if he got in trouble, I mean, you still had Hobie Milner, who again, the 73 games, but just all around incredible effort 
from that bullpen. So that that'd probably be my second place. Just I can't think of another one. But that's where I would lean. All right, one more superlative. It's not an award, but I got to ask you guys, the most disappointing brewer for the season. And I think there's, I think for me, there's two routes to go. And both of them, I think you could argue, I mean, don't necessarily deserve this recognition. But I think it's 1A and 1B of Willie Adamas and Corbin Burns. And that's probably not fair. I mean, it, it's probably, I mean, you could look at like Matt Bush, guys who aren't even on the team, Brian Anderson, which is a disappointment. Jesse Winker was incredibly disappointing, but he was always hurt. But in terms of biggest disappointment, I think Corbin Burns just having a good but not great year, especially how the season started in, in spring training where he comes in and sat in on his own arbitration hearing, which is never a good idea, but it almost felt like he was trying to prove that wrong. He got so in his own head that it ended up just being a disaster in terms of what we know Corbin Burns can do versus what he did. And then William Adamas, I mean, the statistics weren't in his favor a lot, at least for average and things of that nature. But the power numbers, and first of all, did lead the team in average in the playoffs, which he had a 571 batting average in the playoffs over the two games. Uh, reminds me a lot of the 2018 playoffs where Orlando Arcia could not get out. But in terms of the regular season stats, he was, aside from home runs, really not that good in a lot of these categories. I mean, you, everything that comes with home runs, RBI and whatnot too, but really kind of a down, disappointing year in a kind of, again, a make-or-break kind of contract year. Am I, I mean, like I said, aside from the obvious, am I missing anybody? Or do you guys want to give it to one of the obvious ones? Because I respect that too. I mean, Jesse Winker, when you look at what he could have done slash should have done, I equate it to the show where on my franchise, before the All-Star break, has like 35 home runs. What he should have done if healthy, and granted, I know he's, you know, he's getting up there in age, but really the only memorable Jesse Winker thing I can think of is the necklace his daughter made. It's not anything on field. Yeah, he had a couple doubles here and there. He had one home run. Um, here's the list of players who beat him in home runs for the Brewers this season. I mean, it's everybody, but he had one. Luis Urias, Abraham Toro, Romil Tapia, who played like a handful of games here. He was here for a cup of coffee. Andre Monasterio, Garrett Mitchell, who only played in, what, like 30 games? He had 65 at-bats, and he had two more home runs. So that is my I, – I mean, that's a fair one, I think. Right. You can point to him. You can, again, Brian Anderson, I had higher hopes for. Mike Brasso had four home runs. Blake Perkins, Owen Miller had five home runs. Yeah. But – Ultimately, I think we're left at a conversation stake of 
you know, like Sean and now, you know, I think we've all said throughout the episode at different times here. What do you do if you're the Brewers? Because you do still have these guys under contract for at least one more year. You know, even your guys like your Woodruff, your Adamas, your Corbin Burns, you have them arbitration eligible for at least next season, if not, you know, another season after that for some of them. You have a young crop of talent between South Frey, like Garrett Mitchell, around, you know, Tyrone Taylor, um, well, not as he's not the rookie, but you have Joey Weimer, you have Bryce Terang, you have a a franchise player in Christian Yelich that you're paying for the next handful of years. You have William Contreras under team control, so you do have a lot of options. So, what do you do if you're the Brewers front office? I don't think this is going to be popular. Um, I think you trade Corbin Burns and Adamas, and you try to package them now. Um, you're not going to get any higher of a bid now, um, even with the postseason um, issues with Burns. Um, but, I mean, Adamas, I, I love him, but when when you have to pay him as a free agent, are, are you okay with giving that much money to a guy who's batting 217? I mean, his average has gone down 70 points um, in two years. Um, Corbin Burns is obviously, I, I don't think there's any chance he's coming back to your point, sitting in on the, on the arbitration hearing, Andy has Scott Boris, uh, when has that ever worked for the Brewers? So I think if you can trade them and get some pieces, and then I think as weird as this may sound too, you extend Woody as soon as you can, just because I don't think his stock's any lower and, and you know, he wants, he will bleed for this team. Um, you have Freddie going out there. You know, yeah, maybe next year is a little dicey, but you have some really good young pieces. You'll get some good pieces in that trade, and you'll be saving some money to maybe spend two years down the road. I think next year is not the lost season if you do that, and two years down the road, I think you're really cooking with gas. Sean? Right. I totally agree with everything you just said because I've been on the trade Corbin Burns last year, but... And like like you were saying before, you can you could throw Monasterio in to play shortstop for Adamas, and you're are you really losing that much? I mean, you might lose defensively, but well, let's not forget that Bryce Terang is a true born bred shortstop. Yeah, that's true too. And the other thing here, I think, in terms of like your you know your pitching staff, yes, we know that Woodruff is out for 2024 season, and that sucks. Which for for in sake of Brewers utility, the fact that the postseason we got bounced from the postseason and we're already pissed off about next season in within a week or two is a new record. So credit to Brandon Woodruff in that capacity. But in terms of your you know your pitching staff, you had two guys who did not get the call up, but probably should have at different points in your top five prospects. You had Robert Gasser. And Jacob Mizoroski, who were very much compelling cases where Mizoroski could have gone from low A to major leagues in a single season. Uh, Robert Gasser is on that same, he's 2021 draft pick, uh, but is in that same kind of conversation where could have gone all the way, almost all the way through the minor league system this year. And you're looking at a point where you also have Ethan Small. You have Aaron Ashby, who will be coming back from injury and 
supposed to be healthy. Your pitching staff isn't in terrible shape if you decide to move on from Corbin Burns, get what you can, and possibly even talk Wade Miley into another year. That's exactly what I was thinking was just sign a guy like Wade Miley and get that veteran presence. And I think it would help. It could help a lot of these guys out for the for this next year at least. I mean, I'm okay. I mean, I, th- I think contractually speaking, it's not going to happen. But if Adrian Hauser somehow gets dealt in that package too, I'd be more than happy. Which isn't necessarily fair to him because he actually was incredibly consistent this year, aside from probably two or three appearances. But those two or three appearances are why he drives me insane. Because the high end, you know, the very, you have some very high highs, but you have a lot of low lows. Like I can think of, I think it was his first game of the season was up in Toronto and he didn't, he missed the base on a cover. Like I very vividly remember being at my parents' house watching the game and he ran the first to cover was about a foot off from where he was supposed to be. But yeah, that's I, I would probably agree with that. And I think the emergence of a monasterio, the fact that you have Owen Miller, who yeah, he didn't hit like he did in May all season, he was still a two seventy hitter. That's not a terrible option to have around. And you know, if you really want to talk another prospect, Tyler Black is knocking on the door of a major league roster spot too. Which, given the Brewers' contractual, you know, usually, you know, you look back at, like, the Chris Bryant situation with Chicago or Bryce Harper with the Nationals, where teams would often wait till, like, May to call guys up. Keston Hira comes to mind, too, where they waited and actually just no longer a Brewer, elected for free agency uh, the night of Game 2. So, so long, Keston Hira. Best of luck to you. But you... We saw this year the Brewers aren't afraid to call those guys up. Bryce Terang, Joey Weimer, um, Garrett Mitchell, and then Sal Freilich, who didn't make the initial roster, but he was also hurt that early part of the season. You have room to work, and I don't. I think there's free agents out there that you can probably bring in as well to fill in a hole or two as well and not break the bank. Be relatively competitive and still, you know, call it a pretty good season. Like, I I do agree that the front office at some point needs to say, hey, we're either going to blow this up or we're going to go all in. And there's, you know, there's the, the way of looking at it where prior to Craig Council taking over, the Brewers had four playoff appearances over the course of 50 years, um, 81, 82, 08, and 11. But there's also the saying, hey, we probably milk this as long as we can. Uh, do you guys, if it's up to you, are you bringing back Craig Council if he wants to manage? Now, that's another conversation. But if it's a conversation of if we're talking money, because he did say that if he does manage, he does want to kind of buck the trend of managers being underpaid. Are you looking to pay Craig Council or are you looking at what else you can do? Because the David Stearns, the David Stearns connection, until he either decides that he's saying, "Hey, I'm stepping away," or he takes a job either with Milwaukee or whatever, 
that Mets conversation is going to be a conversation that continues to be around. I think you give him the money, um, and I think it goes past what he does as a manager, which how he doesn't have a manager of the year award is beyond me. I still can't believe they gave it to Snicker a few years ago. Um, but beside the point, I mean, he is just, he to me is like the Miller Park name to the stadium. It's just a perfect fit. Um, obviously, he was a brewer. He embodies what it's like to be from Wisconsin. He is from Wisconsin. He has been a brewer. Like, he's just a guy that the team rallies behind. And I know postseason success may not be there recently, but I mean, when you're looking at the Dodgers and the Braves and these payrolls and what he's able to do, you may not agree with all his decisions, but I mean, at the end of the day, he gets his team farther than I think a lot of managers would. I would agree with that by and large in the sense of, I mean, he, he maximizes the talent. I would say he's a very good manager in the regular season. Yes. There's always going to be the questionable decisions. I mean, even in game two where, you know, the big decisions, obviously giving Winker two at bats was an odd choice, but giving, uh, you know, not pinch running for Josh Donaldson. It was a really highly, debated one, which I actually was on his side. I'm all for leaving Josh Donaldson on, on base. Yeah. You know, you're down by a couple of runs. Like you're not him getting doubled up there being in tension or no being in a spot where he can get doubled up. I mean, he was no runner is going to make that play. You saying bolts, not safe at first on, on that diving play that froze him, had to make him retreat. And then it was dropped. I mean, no one's being safe. And yeah. You could say the ball did roll and it felt like a, an, an, you know, like forever that, you know, you feel like maybe they could be safe, but I I never had that feeling. And then really, you know, looking back, it was a pretty quick play. Sean, what say you on the manager situation? Assuming again, that he is open to managing. Right. I, I think, I think you just pay him his money. Cause like you guys are saying, he's gotten the best out of what, what we've got. And that this is pretty much all we've got. It's not like we can go any more money, anything that way. Well, we could. It's Mark Adonazio doesn't want to, but they could. There's not a salary cap. <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, even still, you're 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 looking at the Dodgers paying Dodgers payroll, and it's got to be what two times what Milwaukee is, if not more than that. It's up there. I, I'll pull up the numbers here, but I do agree. Um, you know, it's a very tricky conversation, and I know that there's a lot of naysayers. And I know that even on this show, we've said in the past, you got to get stop being content with division titles, and that's a valid enough point. But I, I think for what Craig gives you at the manager spot, I don't think that's on him. I think that's more on the front office than anything where they're content, you know, I said earlier in the show, we've had seven playoffs appearances in the 50 years and five of those or five of those have come since 2018. And you were in contention up until the final weekend in 2017 and 2022 as well. So that could have very much been where you're basically matching and surpassing in that window of 2017 to 
current what you had in a franchise for the 40 plus years behind that. Uh, MLB payrolls, you had the Mets at $353 million, uh, the Yankees, the Padres, the Phillies, the Dodgers, uh, making up your top five. The Milwaukee Brewers are 20th. So the Mets were number one at $353 million or 353.5, I'll even say, rounding up. The Brewers had one of their higher payrolls, but were 20th at 118.7. Were they the lowest that made the playoffs, or was that Arizona? Um, Arizona was right behind them at 116. Miami was at 91.7. Great. Miami made the playoffs. Okay. Um, Tampa Bay and Baltimore, actually, on the American League side, both made it. They were 28 and 29, respectively. But that's also where just where they are with their young talent. Um, Baltimore, at 29th in the MLB, was 60.7 million. That's gonna skyrocket when these when these guys get their contracts. <laughs> oh, absolutely! But it's impressive how I mean. Again, you look at like we're in totally different spots of where they are as a franchise. But four less than four million dollars separating Boston or Baltimore and Oakland is just baffling. Um, but yeah, but the Brewers front office. While incredibly frustrating, you almost have to give them credit for the sentence I just said, where they have been contending for playoff spots from 2017 to 2023, where you look at like how the Royals, you know, went all in in 2014 and 15, made the World Series twice, won it once, can you know kept those guys around for 16 and part of 17 and started to really kind of sell at that point. Um, officially, you know, belly up in 2018, they still have not recovered from that. You look at, again, I just mentioned the Oakland A's, the Moneyball team. You look at how, you know, when we were all would have been high school in you know, mid-2010s of how good they were for a time of that have not recovered. You look at Tampa Bay kind of fluctuates, but it took them almost seven, eight years to fully, you know, kind of recover and be in a playoff contending spot. Well, you look at Philadelphia too. Right. And yes, they do have like the fourth highest payroll this season, but it took them, I mean, almost from 08 really to fully from 08 to, I mean, they had a couple runs here and there, but nothing to the effect of, of what this last couple seasons have been. So to the Brewers credit and the being in the small, as of right now, the smallest market in pro baseball, um, when the A's moved to Vegas, they would actually be the smallest market in terms of TV markets anyway. I mean, the money that's going to be there is insane, but in theory, it should be anyway. Now, whether or not ownership wants to use it, we'll see. But anyway, that's probably enough Brewers talk, <laughs> uh, which happens at the end of the season. Uh, Badgers have lost. They did win, or they did not win. They did not lose two weeks ago, um, but they did not win this last week. They did lose against Iowa. 
and possibly losing more than just the game. They are also now without starting quarterback Tanner Mordecai. Trevor, you said you were there. First of all, Camp Randall. Sean got to go to his first Camp Randall game this season. He was at the Georgia Southern game with me. So he has not experienced, I mean, he experienced a non-conference game. But what is a Iowa-Wisconsin game like in terms of atmosphere and when they're losing like that and then the injury? It was that I was actually really disappointed um, just in how many Iowa fans were all over the stadium. Um, I've been to multiple Iowa games and they have never, I don't want to say taken over the stadium. Um, it was nothing like, um, you know, the Lions in Green Bay a couple weeks back, but I mean, they usually they stick to their own section and it was clear there are a lot of Badger fans that did not want to go to the game. Um, it's just so demoralizing, um, especially, I mean, we talk about the importance of that game. The Badgers win. They basically have a three-game lead over everybody in the Big Ten West. It's all wrapped up in, with a bow, but now you got to win out and hope Iowa loses. I mean, it's just, it takes the air out of the stadium. It's quiet as a church mouse. And as the game went on, you could tell fans are slowly realizing Oh no! Like this is, this is always how the games go when they lose it, and it's it's tough to be in there. The walk home is is quiet. Um, the drunk fans aren't disorderly, which I guess is good. Um, but man, it is just tough seeing the team walk off head down. It, you can't put it into words. It hurts. So I do want to add a couple things from being at the game versus what we saw on TV. What was it like sitting in that stadium and kind of watching Braden Locke come in? And what was your take on Braden Locke? Yeah, I mean, most of the people in the stadium didn't know what was going on um, because, I mean, you saw Mordecai walk off. But, I mean, you know, you don't have the play-by-play over the announcement, but... um, but people found out pretty quick from texts from, you know, family members or whatever that, you know, the hand was an issue. Um, in terms of Brayden Locke, I think he looked fine. I, I think um, the play where they or the drive where I think um, they scored the first field goal, I think they look good. And I think they just got away from it. Um, I think that was the big problem. And I think the other big issue, I don't know if they trusted his arm. Um, I know they're going to say they trust him, but they didn't want to take any shots deep with him. Some of that was the receivers not getting open, but I mean, you have talent there. You can draw plays for him and they just didn't let him rip it loose, which seen some long play success in the first drive and how you're constantly getting pinned back. And this Iowa defense, you have to do it if you're going to win the game. So I, I thought he did fine, especially seen as a freshman. I think a little more of it was the play calling, um, which I wouldn't, I'm not going to blast a freshman from not audibling out. Yeah, I mean, the, the final numbers, 15 of 30, 122 yards in the interception. Uh, Braylon Allen went 80, 18 carries, 87 yards. Uh, leading receiver for the Badgers was Bryson Green. He had five catches for 86. Will Pauling had eight for 60. Jameer DK, four for 44. And then Skylar Bell, three for 18. Braylon Allen for three for 16. And Hayden Rucci had one for five. I know 
that there is going to be growing pains with this team. And especially, I mean, some bigger schools, if there was like a change to the magnitude that there was, you may see like a bigger impact right away. I think Badger fans need to remember that this is still like, yes, it's a new air raid, dairy raid offense. You still have a lot of the talent here, offensive line receivers who were recruited from the old system. And I think this game was very apparent of that, where this is a team that last year was a game over 500. There was talk about, you know, if they would have lost the bowl game would have been the first losing season in 20 years or almost 30 years, but still was a game above 500, a team that two years ago was talking about already replacing Paul Crist before he ended up getting fired again after the Illinois loss last year has gone down not down, but has gone South significantly since that 2020 Rose bowl appearance. It wasn't going to change overnight as much as you can talk about the transfer portal, it just, I mean, what the or what the Badgers brought in wasn't there. Um, and it's hard to unless you know, unless you're Deion Sanders, you know, like that's that's not the transfer portal. Everyone talks about it, and you see probably a bigger impact in basketball season where two kids come in, and it's a, such a significant difference. Where you know, looking at the Badger offense, you did have two transfers in really that you can kind of point to, or even three, all at that wide receiver room, but they're not going to be you know huge difference makers. As much as it would be in basketball, I should say anyway. Even having a quarterback with most of your offensive line being built from the old system is going to be a struggle. And I think that's coming to realization. And also just remembering that Luke Fickle did have a, not a rough, but a shaky first year at Cincinnati. And that's... Usually what happens with teams that fire a head coach in the middle of the season and then hire a guy like that's I'm not saying that's supposed to happen. I'm not saying it's great. But the Badgers at this point in the season are four and two with a very winnable game coming up here against Illinois. They are a two point five point favorite. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to the Ohio State game in two weeks. But. This is a, you know. We're at a point where, realistically speaking, you look at the rest of the schedule, Indiana, Northwestern, Nebraska, Minnesota. That's, you know, four games at the end. You've got six games left. You very realistically could be four and two in that spell. I mean, the Ohio State game, let's call it spade a spade, is going to take a couple miracles to be a win. But... Illinois, you're favored. I can't imagine you're not going to be favored against Indiana. They're two and four. Northwestern, probably a coin flip. Nebraska, probably a coin flip. Minnesota, yeah, it's in Minnesota, but again, probably a coin flip. I mean, those are very winnable games. Even if you split the rest of the season, go three and three, you're still seven and five going into bowl season and possibly eight and five. That's technically still improvement. Well, and what happens if they beat Ohio State. I mean, they, the Badgers have nothing to lose. And I, that's a big if. But it's at Camp Randall, and we've seen some horrible teams uh, beat Ohio State um, in terms of uh, comparing them on paper. You beat Ohio State, 
we talk about confidence those last five games. I'm not saying they were on the table, um, but I mean, boy, that's a jolt. And that one win makes it a successful season. I'm going to say two things about if they beat Ohio State. First of all, there is going to be a Braden Locke statue outside of Camp Randall. That's that's step one. Um, but number two, I mean, Wisconsin, I mean, Ohio State traditionally has struggled. You know, you look at some of their losses. You look at, like, Purdue a couple years back. You look at in-conference teams that are playing for a division title, not, you know, expected to contend. And how can you not think back to the 2010 game where David Gilry blows the metaphorical roof off the place on the opening kick? I mean, it's been done before. It hasn't been done recently for the Badgers anyway. But why not, you know? I would not bet that to happen, but if it happened, I wouldn't be, I mean, I, okay, I'm not going to say I wouldn't be terribly shocked, because I would be, <laughs> but I'm going to go on record, because I didn't do this with the Dame Lillard pick, the Dame Lillard trade. If this happens, I will not be completely shocked. I would be very shocked, but not completely. There's a big difference. Sean? Was I the only one that thought that Braden Locke looked better than Mordecai? Just running running the offense and just just the way it seemed that the offense flowed a little bit better? I feel that he is more poised right. in the pocket. He's not going to go, you know, to Bray to Tanner Mordecai's credit, the you know, the one thing that he does very well and that the Badgers really are kind of missing from what this offense is supposed to be, is they are missing a true dual-threat quarterback where, you know, I think of, and I, I go back to an interview that we had on our sister podcast, the uh, Back to the Roots show, I think of our first episode with incoming recruit Cole crew, where... I think as he develops, he's a very much a player to watch at that spot. I think of Oklahoma transfer Nick Evers as another guy. But in terms of the the spot, and I, I'm not going to say that you need this player specifically, but I think Sean knows where I'm going with this. Sean, who am I, whose name am I about to say here? Actually, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to let you say this, Trevor. If you know me, whose name am I thinking about right this second that would be like the ideal college quarterback right now for the dairy raid offense? Shadur Sanders. No, I'm I'm not thinking probably within our lifetime, but not currently playing college football. Boy. <sighs> I'm thinking an SEC quarterback. You're not going to say Tim Tebow, are you? Oh, no, 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 no. More recent than that. A little more recent than that. I don't think you're going to say Johnny Manziel either, are you? I was going to say Johnny Manziel. Money Manziel. 
just the arm talents and that dual threat, pull the ball down, make some schoolyard bullshit happen while not watching film, allegedly. Not trying to get sued, but I mean, he also, I guess he did go on record saying he didn't do it in Cleveland, so I don't think I had to add allegedly, but that is, I mean, that is a quintessential college quarterback for any sort of non pro set offense. Yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty much hitting it right there. He'd be perfect. He would be. That is a big thing for Sean to admit. Two things there. One, that I'm right. And two, that I'm right about Johnny Manziel. I was a fan of Johnny Manziel, so... You liked Johnny Manziel because of the Dude Perfect video. No. Am I wrong? Yes, you're wrong. Fair enough. (laughs) No, Trevor, I wish you could see the studio here as I'm sitting. So usually we have like a like a fold away Buffalo Bills mafia type table. But when we do it via Skype, I sit in my recliner in the corner of the room. Um, and I know I have my background. I'm going to turn this off, but I have three jerseys and a picture frame hung behind me. I have a signed Aaron Jones Jersey, a signed Jerry Kramer Jersey. And in the middle of the two, I have a white Texas A&M Manziel Jersey with a signed picture also below that. So signed Jersey, signed picture, from the Cotton Bowl with that same white red trim or maroon trim JM2. It's a thing of beauty. That's that that's one way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Camp Randall doesn't sell booze, but Madison is a party town. I feel like the connection is there. You know, can I make an unprecedented second Nuggie late in the episode? Because you just reminded me. Oh, well, I will say we add Nuggies in all the time because, I mean, I have, un- I, I always say, you know, I have that undi- I undiagnosed ADHD, so I'm just all over the place. If you listen to episode 129, I mean, I, I think we were adding stuff in <laughs> without an agenda. So by all means, the floor is yours. I just figured I'd ask anyways. Um Second quarter ends, Badgers have no points. I'm feeling low. I go to concession stand. All they sell are hot dogs and brats. I'm like fifth in line. I got to the front of the line. They ran out of brats by halftime. Cam Randall runs out of brats by halftime. They had no ketchup, no mustard, and no relish. Are we? What state are we in here? It was so demoralizing i can't even how do you run out of brats by halftime i i could not fathom it that is an excellent question um that i don't have an answer for but it i will say it goes to show the badger fans and iowa fans are consistent as much as we don't have in common we have that much more i will i I will tell this story just real quick um over the summer, Shauna and I went to the John Party concert in, in Appleton area. Uh, the Appleton or the Greensville Lions Club puts it on every year. They have not had a country concert there for a number of years. It's been a lot of like, I think Three Doors Down was there a couple years back. It's been a lot more rock concerts. Um, 
the doors opened at 5 p.m. And I was working, so I was not partaking. I was there for one of my radio station gigs. The vendors ran out of beer before the co-headliner took the stage. It was like 6 o'clock. They had the first guy come on. His name's Drew Green. He played for half hour, and they were already out of beer. Before Lauren Elena, before John Party, to the point where they had to call in, like, the distributing companies with, like, two backup truckloads because they were going through more than a case of beer a minute for what they had picked. Yeah, that seems about right. So, I don't know if it's this post-COVID era of what was the big the big talking point was uh supply chain issues was always the big one but if that's the case and you know three years later if we're running out of brats at camp randall something needs to be assessed all right real quick guys before we move on here uh badgers two and a half points against illinois what are we thinking I'm thinking Badgers. Badger. I'm also the winning Badgers. All right. Uh, Bucks talk, nothing really. I mean, the regular season's starting up here pretty quick, but still in the preseason uh, for a little bit here. So I'm going, in the interest of time, I'm going to just skip that and just say that for our therapy's sake, Damian Lillard is a Buck. Things are pretty good there. Mm-hmm. Because we do need to talk about the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers, after their bye week, are at 2-3. and Traveling to Denver this weekend. And very much, I think, this is a victim of the scheduling. I think Ryan Wood pointed this out on Twitter, or X, whatever. But saying how, like, excitement for this team has waned so much in these last, really, three weeks. Because the Detroit game, Thursday Night Football, sucked. I mean, there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. You have the long bye, so you go a weekend without Packer football. Monday Night Football, Thursday night, another Sunday without Packer football. You're playing Monday night to the Raiders. That game sucks. Could not have gone worse, aside from major injury. And then you have the bye week. So then you have a whole another weekend, again, of no pack of football. Three Sundays in a row, no pack of football. So on top of the on-field product being not great, and the bye week being incredibly early by recent standards, you throw in a wild schedule, and again, yeah, the team is struggling. So, Trevor, I know on the Lombardi Suite podcast, you guys were talking a couple weeks ago and where um, I had been commenting in the Facebook side. What is... I'm just going to let you go. I'm going to open up the question. Packers, two and three. What were your expectations and where are they at compared to them? Well, I mean, first, I think, open it up with the defense. I think you talked about it episode 129, I believe. Um, 
Joe Barry's been fine. Um, obviously, Preston Smith has been in coverage against Devontae Adams. That's not great, but as a whole, the defense has been fine. I mean, they haven't been the reason they've lost. Um, it's the offense. You know, they're they're putting themselves in in second and twelve and third and sevens, and that's not conducive to doing much. Um, you know, Aaron Jones obviously injury. That's you know that's another conversation. But even when he's healthy, like they don't like giving him the ball consistently. You look at Week One, he gave it to him a ton of times first drive, didn't give it to him again the entire second half or entire first half. So, you know, this Packer team has scored less than 20 points more than the Broncos. And we're talking about how washed Russell Wilson is. Um, so for me, I think it's, you know, uh, both play calling, um, just some unfortunate mistimed mispasses from love and just the offensive line constantly putting the backers behind the eight ball. Um, I think if the backers sort that out, they got something good. And I think expectations of 500 we hit that they still have a chance, but you know, it's weak. You know, you're, you're in game six, game five, game seven, you know, you're starting to get that territory where if it's not changing now, I'm not saying all is lost, but you got to be seeing some improvement somewhere. And so far, you know, I'm just not seeing it. All right, Sean. Yeah, I pretty much agree on everything. I think the issue has been more so the play calling, than it really has been anything else. And I I think we talked about it. We're not so sure if it's LaFleur, if it's, well, more so it's LaFleur, right? So I have had two weeks to think about this, and that is never a good thing. But I have come to the conclusion that I don't know what the conclusion is. For the reason being that I think we're probably still too early in the season to tell. But there are so many things you can point the finger at in terms of, okay, is it Matt LaFleur, his play calling? Is it that Jordan Love isn't good enough to execute the full playbook? Is it that, you know, just the health of these guys where you haven't had Christian Watson, you haven't had... Aaron Jones consistently healthy. So your two top playmakers have been out. Your offensive line has been nothing short of a struggle. At what point do we look at, hey, maybe this is on the front office too? I mean, clearly you don't have the talent to compete with Detroit, which whatever. I don't think anybody expected them to be five and one. I think, you know, three and two or, you know, going into the week, even would have been like, you know, three and three would have been realistic. But no one expects them to be five and one, sure. But to a point where you're a Bears game, you know, you dominate that game because the Bears are awful. You are a second half comeback away from being the same shoes they are record wise. I mean, that's that's where you're at right now. Yeah, you've only lost one game in the division, which I guess is the big talking point right now. That game of the Lions. But 13 points against the, the Raiders in a game that was very, very winnable, even to the point as bad as they played, the fact that they nonstop ran screens that were not working because they block it like an RPO, which is conceptually, I don't even have a word beyond baffling, just 
makes me want to come like rage and commit crimes. You have 17 points against the Saints or 18 points against the Saints, which was a win. You pissed away the Atlanta game, but you can kind of point to the, you know, just again, Bijan Robinson's incredible. You can kind of, you can stomach that one. This most, this game against the Raiders, again, you start asking these questions and there's so many people to point the finger at, you almost don't know who to point the finger at, actually. Is it, you know, again, it very well could be just the fact that, you know, we saw the the quote-unquote the full playbook with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. Is it that Aaron Rodgers covered a lot of things up and covered up warts, which very well could be? Is it that Jordan Love's just not good enough to execute the playbook, the full playbook? We have to resort to screens and and all that too, which to that end, I'm sitting here thinking Christian Watson played against the Raiders. I mean, looking at that those stats from the Raiders game, Christian Watson, I think, I think at halftime, you had a com- combination of five targets between Dobbs, Watson, and Reed. And I don't think Dobbs had a target. Yeah. So you're looking at that, and that's your top three receivers, all guys who are top half of the draft caliber talent in the drafts that they were taken. You have, I mean, yes, Aaron Jones did not play on the Monday night game. For once, the run game wasn't awful. I thought A.J. Dillon played pretty well, all things considered. But even now, looking at this, these splits from this game, Christian Watson ends that game with seven targets. He had three catches on 91 yards, the longest being that 77-1. Luke Musgrave had seven targets for six yards before he left that game with injury. Um, Josiah DeGuara had one catch on one target. Ben Sims had one catch on one target. Dontavian Wicks, one catch on one target. Jaden Reed had two targets. You were playing, there was 47 graded slot corners in the NFL at that time of the kickoff. The slot corner that was assigned Jaden Reed was 46th. You gave him two targets. Patrick Taylor had five targets. Romeo Dobbs ended up with four. AJ Dillon had one. So... What the hell is going on? You know, like, what you could just point to it. Like, what the hell is, like, the problem? Why are you not getting your playmakers involved? I mean, even 6 for 34 for Luke Musgrave feels too low. Mm-hmm. For what he can do. Statistically speaking, again, you know, not stats don't tell the whole story. But the fact that in terms of separation at the tight end position, he leads the league on routes run and separation metrics. Proving that the guy is open, but you get him seven targets. I, I just, I don't, I don't even really know who to point the finger at. And maybe there's multiple fingers to point. That could, you know, it's maybe it's not just one. But that's where I'm at personally. And this Denver game is coming out of the bye, which the Packers have struggled with, is going to be very telling of the actual you know, diagnosing the issue. Yeah. I th- I think this has got to be your get-right game in order to figure out how the rest of this season's going to go. Well, and the, the thing with that, Sean, 
is we know we've talked about that murderers row the three weeks of just suck scheduling you've got well you can even argue for you know say what you will about the Steelers they have a winning record right now but you've got the Steelers the Chargers the Lions and the Chiefs all in a row but right now you have a four game or yeah three game stretch where you have a very winnable schedule where you've got the Broncos this week the Vikings next week and the Rams take them as what you will. Mm-hmm. And then you do get rewarded after that Chiefs game with the Giants, the Bucks, the Panthers, and then the Vikings and Bears again. There is, in my book, from what we think this team should be, could be, no reason to not pick up, what, five of those games? Be like a 7-10 and 10 team, bare minimum. If not getting towards eight and nine or nine and eight, inexcusable if you don't. Right. Bar again, barring injury, I will always give that caveat because of how the game of football is played. But and even if you steal one between the Steelers, Chargers, Lions, and Chiefs, which I think the most stealable one might be the Chiefs, actually. Uh, I mean, say what you will about the Chargers, I guess too, but. They are not going into Ford Field and winning on Thanksgiving. I I would bet the house on that as of right now. Again, barring injury, that is more of a lock to me than I think Ohio State and Wisconsin is. Zero chance. We saw what they did at 38% crowd capacity. Imagine what that thing's going to be like at 97 mm-hmm. on, on Thanksgiving Day, on day, the day of Lions football. Yeah, I mean, I was at the game at Fort Field last year, and that was when the Lions didn't really know what they had. Um, and that game turned around the season, and that place was rocking. So with the division in hand, most likely, and think that place is going to, they're going to blow the roof off that place. So... We did this with the Brewers. We went really long-winded with the Brewers on this aspect, but in terms of the bye, you know, yes, it's less than halfway through the season, but kind of at that halfway through the season with the bye week, if you had to point to, we'll keep it as simple as possible, an MVP, a most improved, and a, you know, disappointment of the year, not counting David Bakhtiari, because I think that's probably... Too easy to say, but if you had to point to a Packers MVP and kind of looking, or even if you want to do grades instead for the different units, like where where are you guys sitting at the unofficial halfway bye week point, quarter of the season, really? But it's a tough one. I don't pull punches. Great. Um, personally. If I had to point to an MVP, I'm actually probably saying Rashawn Gary or Aaron Jones. I'm pointing at one of those two because Aaron Jones, in the capacity that Peyton Manning should have won the MVP his last year in Indianapolis when he didn't play a game because they saw how bad they are without him. Um, Rashawn Gary is just for the – I mean, you said it, Trevor, and I, <coughs> one of us said it a couple episodes ago. The defense, by and large, has not been the problem, aside from that Detroit game, which, you know, say what you will about that game. It was what it was. But 
if you tell me that we only give up 17 points to the Raiders, I think that's a win. If you tell me we give up 25 to the Falcons, coin flip, and only 17 to the, the Saints, which and it actually was a win, those are three very winnable games. Like, I mean, you could make the argument three and two and feeling a lot better than two and three and feeling like shit. So, yeah, I mean, I guess MVP is so tough. Um, it's going to feel, it's going to sound so weird, and, and I hate doing this. I think the MVP, I think you could make a case for Anders Carlson. Like, I, I really do. Um, I think the Bears, that kick before halftime was huge. That gave the Packers a, a full one possession lead. He hasn't missed a kick. You look at the Falcons. Hey, 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 hey. We don't we don't talk that way on the show. <laughs> You're not the one talking, Eric. That, that's fair. That's <laughs> fair. Uh, Saints, I was thinking it for what it's worth. I was very much thinking about it, but I know how our rabid listeners. Are, so I know if I were to say those things and say on Sunday. He misses a kick in like the first. I'm not going to put the pressure situation on, but he misses a kick in the first quarter. I'm getting five text messages calling me the jinx if I say that. So well, that's that. That's fine. You know, this can be a, a knock on wood. Shot. You know, you can you can point it to me. <laughs> knock on wood, salt over the shoulder, all that jazz. I was not going to be the one to say it. Yeah, I mean, he's done perfect, and, and I. I slammed on the pick at the time. He wasn't good in college, um, accuracy-wise. He's made a lot of kicks that has kept his team in games, and he hasn't missed. And with how close some of the games have been, if a rookie kicker misses one of those, that can change the whole outset and all the momentum. So I'll, I'll give him credit because we have asked a lot of him. I think not a lot of people are paying attention to it, and he's shown up. So I'll give him props for that. Sean? I, I, I'm not sure, but if I got to pick somebody, this is going to be a really random one, but I think Darnell Savage has finally come back into his, or where we thought he was going to be kind of at least flying around, making tackles, just letting them kind of play it downhill and play yeah, loose and play fast just play with it instead of putting them in coverage and screwing them up that way. I've got just not even on Darnell Savage, but I think two players that have not gotten the credit that they deserve and have gotten a lot of flack that I don't think they deserve. Quay Walker has had an incredible season. Once again, I know from a pro football focus standpoint, I mean, he was one of the best rookies last year, but everybody focuses on the two ejections and, I don't even think he was really at fault for the Atlanta penalty or the Detroit penalty that cost them the game or was the dagger. Uh, that's on coaching in multiple capacities. But Quay Walker leads the team in tackles and has almost double anybody else. And he's not even doing it like the Blake Martinez, you know, 14 yards down the field and he's the first one to touch the guy. He is doing it in a downhill play, you know, with like, Playing hard, he has – try to find the numbers here. Only three tackles for loss, but 
51 total tackles, 25 solo, 26 assists, which, again, like I said, almost doubles the next two closest, which would be Rudy Ford at 35 and Darnell Savage at 33. So very slept-on season from Quay Walker, which, again, I know people are – it's easy to point at that Detroit penalty because it did have a pretty big spot in the game at the time. But I don't think that was on him. I really don't. That's Yes, he did obviously infringe the rule, but you can't tell me he just pulled that out of nowhere. That's something that needs to be coached in practice. And a rule that the coaches need to say, hey, you're playing this spot. You can't do that in that spot. Like, you have to know that, and I, I feel like he probably wasn't told that. I have a very controversial statement, according to Packers Twitter, um, which, Trevor, I know that you're pretty involved in, so I'm asking you to buckle up on this. I don't think A.J. Dillon is that bad. He is not running back one material, but he never was supposed to be. And... I will be the first to admit it is frustrating to watch him run sometimes because I don't know if he's just kind of getting tired from carrying the load of an RB1 and just runs two up and down. But he hasn't been as bad as Packer Twitter would make you think, given how inconsistent and really bad the offensive line has been. And again, you can even kind of give him a a cop-out of looking at the play calling where you're trying to run sweeps with him and you're trying to do things that don't get him going downhill and allow him to be the true speed slash power back that he's supposed to be. So conceptually speaking, I think they misuse him. Uh, Depth-wise, they've had to misuse him given the Aaron Jones injury. But I don't think he's warranted all the negative flack he's gotten. I I will say I think his best season of the game by far was against uh, the Raiders. I think he looked much better. Um, it's it's weird. It almost it's it's weird. Some some games he gets stood up, and it almost seems like I don't want to say gives up, but like you know he doesn't keep the legs moving. And then there are some games like against the Raiders where he just hits and he just keeps going. And it I think really the the reason for most of flack on him is the inconsistency with that, which is not all his fault. And I think the other part that's definitely not his fault is he was a second round pick. Like, so I think people are like, this is your second round guy. And that's fair. But I mean, that's not his fault that he won the second round. So that's well, tough, too. And for what it's worth, I mean, you look at given all the compare the easy comparisons, given the coaching staff and who drafted him and who they had before him in Derrick Henry. It's a very easy comparison given that they're both bigger backs, even though they don't really have a similar run style and similar play style, but they're also products of the Matt LaFleur offense. So it's a very easy comparison to make, and the fact that they are, you know, literally bigger. But when you compare him in that capacity, you are doing a grave injustice to the style of play that A.J. Dillon actually does play. Even on his best game, and it probably doesn't help that his his best game as a pro was against Tennessee in the snow a couple years back. That doesn't help the conversation. But when that's who you're being compared to, a once-in-a-generation type running back who runs just downhill with power, who even to this point, you know, and as he's kind of put more miles in the tires, has been a little more inconsistent than in years past, that is a tough comparison to live up to 
no matter who you are. So, Sean, uh, anything on, on the AJ Dillon? Um, I think, like you said, he's just just the inconsistencies of being like he's not running hard. Oh, I shouldn't say not running hard, but it's like it's like he gets he sees the open hole and he gets too excited and trips over his own feet a lot of times too, which is very frustrating at times. And then I don't I don't know just. I th- I think he's just got to just get out of his own head. And I think that's a lot to do with it, too. He did play a lot of farming simulator on the bye week. So I, I feel like he's probably in the best headspace he's going to be. He's been, it's harvest season. He just wants to get his crops, man. Right, exactly. All right, one last question before we go on to our picks and wrap the episode up. I know we're running pretty long here. Uh, thank you again, Trevor, for sticking with us tonight. Um, this was probably not the assignment you thought it was going to be, but it is what it is. So thank you for sticking with us. If you don't come back, we understand. <laughs> Jordan Love. A quarter of a season in, his first year as a starter. Do you feel confident with him as the starter beyond this season? And for conversations like beyond next season with where he is at his contract, I will let Trevor, I'll let you go first on this one. I think it depends what you want to do. And I know that sounds a cop out, but like if you want him to win you games, I don't, I don't think that's what you're going to get with him. I don't think that's going to work. Um, But if you want him to be more of a game manager, I love him as a competitor. I mean, you hear him talk about, I think the guys need the juice. That's why I lowered the shoulder. You see his reactions in the Saints game when he's running for a touchdown, when he's drawing flags. He won't lose you many games if you scheme it right. So I think if you're looking for that, you know, Tennessee-style offense that LaFleur brings in, if you do it right, I think he's just fine. Um, But if you're looking for a quarterback – that you kind of lean on in sticky situations, one that makes a lot of plays, one that has to be on his best most games. I don't know if he has the arm talent to do it, um, but there are definitely worse quarterbacks in the NFL, I will say that. Sean? I I think you said it perfect, that if you want a guy that's just a game manager, he's, he's one of the perfect guys because he's just got to – not what exactly just not lose the game and you put the right pieces around them i think i think he'll be completely fine yeah i think you know we talked about with the brewers where what is your goal as a franchise is it to win division titles or are you trying to get a championship if you're talking about division titles by all means i think he's a good not great quarterback who like you said, if you scheme properly, if you have a home run threat running back, you know, it doesn't have to always be Aaron Jones, just contractual, you know, with his contract situation. But if that's that, you know, what you're looking for and what you need as an organization and you want to continue just to compete and maybe go on a, a one-off Eli Manning type run, by all means, like that's, he's, he's a good not great quarterback who will win you 
maybe one or two. You know, we talked about war for baseball. He's probably good for one win above your average quarterback. Maybe two. But if you do want to be in that position to contend once again, and, you know, say what you will about this year, they're not going to be in a position for Caleb Williams, which is the consensus number one. But, you know, you look at a guy like a, a Drake May possibly, or, you know, injury aside, if you look at uh, Michael Penix, if you look at some of those guys who may not, you know, kind of go to the top third, you know, kind of in what I would consider like the lottery picks, the late lottery picks, there would be a guy there more than likely that is at least on Saturdays playing very well. How that translates to the pros is another conversation, but there would be a, there probably will be an interesting option in the draft when the Packers spot would come up and whether or not they do it, I don't know. We'll have to see, but you're in that conversation where if, you know, if you aren't incredibly better and you're in a spot, if Drake Mays on the board, you're thinking about it. I don't want to say you do it, but you're thinking about it. So that is the Packer talk for the last two weeks. All we've got left to do is pick them. And Trevor, I know for standings purposes, we may not have you all season, but we will do the college game day route and let you be our guest picker of the week. Uh, Shauna's picks are in as well. Uh, I want to caveat this with her pick was in prior to the start of tonight's Thursday night football game. Um, so with that said, we do go, like I said, against the spread here. The Jags, to start tonight's game, um, were the favorite. They were a two, or actually they were the dog. They were a two-and-a-half-point dog. They are up at halftime, so I w- I'm willing to go with a free point here. If you felt confident or if you want to pick a Saints upset, I would give it a two points. Yeah, um, it's a little different for me. I'm used to straight up. Um, 70% accuracy straight up, so spread's not going to be great, but uh, I would pick the Jags. <laughs> we're, I we're, love Doug Peterson. We're trying to get him onto the straight up pick too, too, but he won't, go, he won't go for it. So I, I've heard that's been a topic in the past. <laughs> I, I don't want to rehash that. All I'm going to say to defend it is I think it adds a little bit more skill to the conversation, and I think given how the NFL and NFL talk spaces have been with the amount of business and money that comes in on gambling. I think against the spread picks are the way to go for now, considering that we're trying to get sponsors, Sean. (laughs) Anybody can also sit and tell you San Francisco is going to be Minnesota. So that's fair. You can pick on colors based on that point, but if (laughs) your colors aren't going to tell you if they're going to cover Sean, Are you taking the Jags to finish this thing off? Yeah, I am. Because you're down a couple games in the standings. I'm willing to give you the two day, like I said, a two point advantage here. No. Shauna, are you willing to change your pick from the Jags? She is not. I am going to stay on the Jags as well in first place. If I was in second, though, 
Tell you what, boys. I would be looking at that Saints and hoping for the best. Nice. All right. <laughs> looking at the noon slate, no international game this weekend. So we actually get to get our morning routine underway normally. Uh, Browns and Colts. The Browns are a three-point favorite on the road. So, Trevor, I know that you go straight up. So it's really like a six-point. You know, you kind of get the old three points at home. So three points for the Browns on the road against Indianapolis, who will be without Anthony Richardson for the remainder of the season. I'm going but, Browns. Sean? Yep, same. I'm going to go Browns. I am going to go Browns as well. I want to believe in Minshew Mania. I just can't right now. Shauna also, Shauna is believing in Minshew Mania, though. She is going with the Colts. All right, next game here. We've got Bills-Patriots. The Bills, eight and a half points on the road in Foxborough to the one and five Patriots. Shauna leads us off on this one. She is going with the Bills. Yep, I'm going to go Bills also. I am also going Bills. Josh Allen doesn't impress me. I'm going Patriots. I hate to do it, but. Commanders-Giants in what I am... Well, no, there's one game that I think is worse than this. So, Commanders-Giants, two and a half points for the Commanders on the road. Shauna, this week on that one, she is taking Commanders to cover that two and a half. I am going the same way. And uh, by the way, because I don't think I said I am going with the Bills as well. You know what? I'm going to go with the Giants on that one. I'll go. Uh, I'll go Washington. Sean, any particular reason other than just trying to make up games in the standings? Just trying to be. Just trying to make up some games. All right. Lions, Ravens, and I believe for the only the second time this season, the Lions are the underdog. The Ravens are a three point favorite. Granted, they are at home, so kind of again, if you go with the old adage, it's a pick 'em game. Shauna's going with the Lions and the upset. You know, I think I'm going to go to the Ravens here and bring the Lions down to earth a little bit. I think this is going to be one of those games where Lamar Jackson runs all over them. He slings it probably two, three touchdowns, runs one or two in himself, and kind of humbles the Lions a little bit. So I'm going with the Ravens on at home to cover against the Lions. I'm going to go the Lions. I don't think the Lions have had a true test in a while, so I'll go Baltimore. I'll go Baltimore with you. All right. In what I would call the I don't want to watch it, touch it, look at it game of the week, we've got the Raiders and the Bears in Chicago. The Raiders, a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Shauna is going with the Raiders. Sean, I have a feeling I know what you're going to do here. Um, and if you do what I think you're going to do, I'm going with the Bears. And I think this is the first time all season I'm picking the Bears. And I really hate the fact that I'm picking them here. You're going Bears without Justin Fields? 
I'm going Bears without Justin Fields at home without any running backs either. Except <laughs> I, I just got that feeling. Deontay Foreman's going to have the game that we thought he should have had coming out of Texas. So it's going to be that game. It's going to be his career game. And I just don't think the Raiders, I mean, yeah, they had, they teed off on Jordan Love, but who the hell is the Bears starting quarterback then? I don't even know who their backup is. Tyson Badgent. Yep. Who the hell is that? He threw two interceptions to like the Utah School of Minerals last year in college. So <laughs> if you would have told me it was still Josh McCown, I wouldn't have doubted you. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm still going with the Bears. I feel I forgot about the field injury, but I'm I'm gonna stick with that one. Yeah, Just, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with the Raiders. Um, girlfriend's a Bears fan, unfortunately, and I have to answer to her, so I gotta pick the Bears. You don't have to do shit. My fiance picked the Raiders, and I'm going against her, so. <laughs> Just letting you know that one. I, I don't know if she's going to listen to this, but I'm just, I'm letting you know. All right. Uh, last noon game on the docket, we've got Falcons Buccaneers. The Bucks, a two and a half point favorite at home. Uh, Shauna is going Atlanta. I'm going to go against her on this one as well. I'm picking the Bucks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Atlanta. I'll split it. I'll go Tampa. I want Atlanta to win this game, by the way, for what it's worth. I'm picking the Tampa Bay for two reasons. One, a little bit out of spite on Trevor here yet. And two, I want a Bijan Robinson game, like pop-off game to go off so bad. But I don't have my hopes up, so that's why I'm going against him right now. He's he's on my, my bad list. All right, uh, looking at the 3 o'clock window... We've got Steelers, Rams out west. The Rams, a three-point favorite at home. Shauna is going with the Rams. I'm also going with the Rams in this one. Um, uh, I'm going to go Steelers. I'll go, uh, I'll go Rams. All right. Cardinals, Seahawks. The Seahawks, an eight-point favorite at home. Shauna's going Seahawks. I'm going with the Cardinals. I think, you know, looking at where they are, first of all, they've been surprisingly competitive. Yeah, they're one in five, but they've been surprisingly competitive, especially against the spread. I think they have covered almost every game they've been in. And I think they start having a little bit of life here with Kyler Murray starting to practice. So it's starting to trend the way that they want it to. So I'm I'm big on the energy around the birds. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you there. I'm going to go to the Cardinals to cover that, too. Eight points is a lot to cover. I'm going Arizona. All right. Chargers, Chiefs. The Chiefs favored by five and a half. Everybody in the world knows where this one's going for Shauna. Who listens to this? She says in her written down picks here, she has Travi, obviously. Uh, five and a half in a kind of a, I mean, they did cover against Denver, but it was ugly. Playing back on Sunday, national game of the week. Obviously, Taylor Swift's probably going to be there because Kansas City and it's a national game. Give me the Arrowhead magic. 
Mahomes and Maato. I'm I'm gonna go with the Chargers. Really? I'll go Kansas City. The amount of Travis Kelsey commercials that we're gonna continue seeing is going to rival the fathead commercials that used to be on every other ad. There's still a company, by the way. I went and looked last night because I couldn't sleep. They're still out there. They're still making stuff um, and updating it. And like they have, like obviously they have current players, but they are they still exist. So shout out to Fathead. Um, I love that. That is what you're doing when you cannot sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's a wild world up there, man. All right, uh, one more game to go through here on Sunday. That's Sunday Night Football. We've got Dolphins-Eagles, because we always pick the Packers last for the Sunday games. Dolphins-Eagles. Philly is a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home in a matchup of the five-and-one teams in the NFL. Shauna is going with the other Kelsey. She has Kelsey. I'm going to go against her here. That Miami Dolphins team, I think they get their moment in the sun. It's primetime football. They're going to show the whole world who they are in that AFC East division and the AFC as a whole. Give me the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football. I got to go Philly. I can't pick against them. Um, well, this does not help me. I looked for Tua's record in primetime, and that includes games for Alabama, so that doesn't help me. Um, I'll pick the Eagles. All right. Well, Packers, Broncos. Somehow the Packers are a one-point favorite, which I would rather them just be underdogs at that point, even though they're on the road. So, I mean, again, you kind of do the old-fashioned. Really, it's four, but a one-point favorite in this one. So, basically, call it how you see it, boys. Packers, Broncos. Shauna is going with the one-in-five Broncos. I'm I'm gonna go with the Packers. I think they get it right this week. I feel like they have to, and I feel like the season, like I mean, it's week six for them. Essentially, it's game, it's week seven, but it's game six for them. It's entirely too early for a must-win game, but this has all the feelings of a must-win, non-playoff type game, a get-right game, a you need to have it type game, and coming off the bye. I feel like a lot of these guys are healthy. Devondre Campbell's the only player not practicing uh, per the last two days of practice, according to Rod Domovsky. Uh, so Quay Walker should be a go. I'm going to say the Packers do win this one. I think this is one that next week when we're talking about it, we're going to be pissed off about still. But it's going to be a win, so we're going to be a little bit happier. I think the Denver offense gets a bad rap. I think they do enough um, going Denver. All right, and then in Monday Night Football, the 49ers and the Vikings, nobody knows the health of any of the 49ers, but doesn't matter because they are a seven-point favorite on the road in Minnesota. Shauna's going with the 49ers. She says, frick the Vikings. That's a quote. She did not. I did not censor that. She wrote, frick the Vikings. Um, I don't think it matters on who plays for them. It could be... CJ Beathard still playing quarterback for as their backup. I don't I like I said, I don't think it matters. I am going to go 
with the 49ers. I think they are, their defense is going to crush Kirk Cousins. It's a primetime game, which he doesn't show up in. And I feel like you could put me out at quarterback. And it's uh, with a Kyle Shanahan-led offense, I'm still probably putting up 150 and two touchdowns. Right. Good one. So give me the Niners covering that seven. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I'm going to go with the Niners. Um, because I don't have to answer to the rules because I'll be one and done. Uh, I say, uh, give me San Francisco by 15. Don't even give me six and a half. Give me San Francisco by 15. <laughs> They're going to come out buzzing. Um, yeah, San Francisco every day of the week. All right. With that said, just to put a, a bow on this episode, we always wrap up with our bar of the week. Trevor, as the guest here, I'm going to ask, I know you said you don't drink, but your favorite dining establishment that has alcohol at it. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that's tough. I, got, I don't remember the name of this place. That is, give me a second here. I can pull it up. I know where it is. I know how to find it. It's in Wauwatosa, downtown Wauwatosa. They have decent food there, um, right across from Hart Park. It is uh, not Topper's Pizza. Yeah, uh, Left's Lucky Town in Wauwatosa. Um, good food, good alcohol, uh, good outside patio. Left's Lucky Town, shout out. All right, Left's Lucky Town, 4.4 stars on Google out of 100, 1.7 thousand reviews. Um, some of the uh, reviews here from Bry Dev, three weeks ago, five-star review. The Tosa Stable Bar and Grill. Jalapeno Popper Burger was solid. Fish fry looked great, too. Nice patio, really attentive, friendly service, good bloody also. I think that's all I need to say. I mean, again, the reviews, the food looks great from the picture. So, less Lucky Town and Wauwatosa. All right. With that, only one more thing to do here, and that is what we are rooting for in the upcoming week. I'm going to leave this off, and I'm going to go with the high school football playoffs getting off, getting underway this week. Uh, I will be on the call as play, uh, color commentary for the Luxembourg Casco Spartans taking on the Little Shoot Mustangs at home as the two versus seven. So <laughs> I was going to say go LC, but that's both of them. Uh, go Spartans, go Luxembourg Casco. That's who we're covering. And that is my assignment for the week. And also I'm hoping for fantasy football to go better this week too, but <laughs> that's just me being selfish. Sean? I'm um, just looking forward to the, I got a snow joker banquet tomorrow, tomorrow. So we're going to Romy's and having chicken and tips and hopefully win some raffle buckets and just have a good time there. All right. Close this off, Trevor. What are you rooting for this week? NBA season starts and look, the Packers, I hope they win, but if they don't, Hey, we're going to do the Wisconsin famous thing of going right to the next sport. Uh, when one lets <laughs> us down. And that's what the NBA here is here for, and uh, I'm excited for Dame Time. All right. That is episode 131. We are in the books for Justin, Shauna, and Ramsey, who aren't here. For Shauna, myself, and our guest, Trevor Land, 
I should ask Trevor, how can the folks follow you on social media if they don't already do so? At Trevorland2 on Twitter. Much appreciated. All right. For the five or the six of us on our side, or the five of us on our side, and Trevor this week, episode 131 in the books. We're out. See ya. See you.